How do you do? The Box Office Pulp Board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the internet, analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Now, to pause and refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby, with buttered popcorn, golden good and hot from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich, plus delicious Dr. Pepper, so bright and bracing with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Enjoy an ice-cold Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now, and then return to fully appreciate this bop and a movie commentary track. Enjoy. Let's match the power of Lord Voldemort, heir of Salazar Slytherin, against the famous Harry Potter. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one podcast stop for movies, madness, moxie, and tonight, muggles. We already used magic last time, so I had to find a new M word. I have no idea what's coming next time. Really backed yourself into a corner for this bit. I I did. I've been I've been on an M word kick uh, for the last couple podcasts. Uh, we've got mothers and monsters and magic and muggles, and now I don't know what I'm doing next. This was a poor choice. I needed the source in the dictionary. Mages. We're doing nothing but M movies now. Things about magic. All culminating in the film M. (laughs) That was my funniest commentary ever. (laughs) Six years ago, we started the show just so I could do a podcast about M. That's all I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, we're continuing on with our Harry Potter commentary series. If if all this M talk wasn't a good enough clue for that, uh, this time. We're covering Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I'm your host, Cody. Joining me today is fellow basic Gryffindor trash, Mike Napier, and eh, Hufflepuff, Jamie Lewis. I would have preferred if you didn't insult Mike just then. I mean, as a Hufflepuff, I feel like all houses are equal and that we should all just we should all just be here to learn. No, that's clearly a lie. Have you seen the films? There are good people on both sides. <laughs> I don't like how 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 terrible that makes Hufflepuff sound. <laughs> Why did you appease the Nazis, Hufflepuff? <laughs> Why indeed, Hufflepuff? I want answers. That's why no one fucking ever addresses Hufflepuff. They're off watching Infowars the entire time. Oh God. <laughs> The worst part is everyone who would listen to this was like, I'm really excited about Harry Potter. I'm a Hufflepuff. And they're going to listen to this and be like, I'm done with this. And, and then just never care about box office pulp again. We've lost 90% of our audience. They're now too busy like staking to at a pizza place. Oof. Oof. Ouch. 
God, this is a Harry Potter. Co- Let's stop. Let's. That's <laughs> true. This movie is. Snake kills Dumbledore. Oh, spoilers! Spoilers! Harry there Potter are dies children again. listening to this. <laughs> we should get going though. Uh, small known fact: Harry Potter movies are nineteen hours long. Yes, so. and uh, we are watching. Uh, by the way, the theatrical cut of Chamber of Secrets. Thank you, Mike. Uh, important distinction because many of you will many of you. Many of you as a guy. Many of you guys. Your your standard definition Blu-rays and DVDs. Uh, Many of you have access to both. We're just going to do the standard cuts. That should be the default option most of you have available. Uh, If you haven't listened to a commentary with us before, this is a weird starting point. We do have Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone available. You should check that out and, I don't know, maybe watch the series in order. It's your life. You do what you want. What we're going to do now, though, is play the movie. We're going to talk over it with fun facts, analysis, jokes, whatever comes to mind, tangents. And if you want to watch and sync with the movie, feel free. You can cue the movie up right now. We'll give you a countdown from three. We'll start the movie and away we'll go. I like how you make it sound like you're doing a personal service for them. I'm walking into their house right now to wash their feet. I don't even like feet. They should pay me. It's like, watch movies, the box office pulled away. Okay, we have to make that with Cody. Uh, can that be a Patreon tier? Yes. <laughs> Cody explains how to properly movie. Movie at home, I mean, movie in car. It's going to be pretty close to what we're doing tonight. I'm going to explain to you how to make drinks. Uh, we'll probably play with some Legos. I don't know. It'll be fun. We'll have a good and time. we got a lot of time, and this is an enjoyable film, even though it has sweaters. It's anyway. True. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave for that whole scene. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so am I. That's going to be my bathroom break, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to carry the show for about 10 minutes. I'm prepared. Hey, so I'm going to count to three. After I say three, we're going to press play. Are we all ready? I'm all set. Count ready, Captain. Magical fucking journey. One, two, three. Oh, boy, I hear magic. Magic. Magic moments. I got, you know, it just makes the Warner Brothers logo seem like the spaceship from District 9 and it's in the clouds like this. <laughs> it does make the logo look very sinister. It's very ominous. The, the logo is always ominous in the in these movies after the first Scott, one. Scott, could you Wait. imagine that logo in the clouds with the scary-ass Warner home video music playing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, God. Speaking of scary, this freaked me the fuck out as a kid, just seeing all these endless samey houses, which I'm, it's the point, you know, it's trying to show that the Dursleys are the kind of people that would enjoy something like this. It's very quickly contrasted by when we go to the Weasley's weird little ramshackle hut thing in the middle of the country. But boy, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. We, we are getting super artistic, like right off the bat in comparison to Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, that was something that... <laughs> occurred to me immediately whenever I was watching, whenever I was re-watching it this time, which is, the first movie felt very, very Terry Gilliam. This feels extremely Tim Burton. Like, I feel like even more so than Azkaban, this is the closest we would have gotten to one of his Harry Potters. (laughs) And then we cut to that giant cake with that kind of yellow stress in the background, which is very (laughs) scissor-handsy. In in my mind, though, it's just amazing how much of a step up pretty much everything is, in, in my mind, 
Chamber of Secrets is compared to Sorcerer's Stone. And this started filming days after, three days after Sorcerer's Stone came out. It was a big hit, and they're like, great, we need another. Next year, go. To have one year to make this whole thing is astounding to me, especially if you consider the timeline. 2002, same year The Two Towers came out. They made that movie at the same time as Fellowship. And yet this was you know, on a similar scale, giant budget fantasy movie, high high visibility, giant blockbuster. But they had one year to literally do the entire thing, film and edit. Blows my mind. And yet like somehow a- they made it better than the last one, I, I think, in, in oh, pretty much yeah. all facets. Much. It, well, the first movie was uh, Columbus, Clovis, to everybody, the set decorator, costume designer, everyone trying to figure out how to make a new kind of movie. What is a Harry Potter movie? What, how are these going to work? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like, it's all very nuts and bolts. Uh, and then the, it's like they built themselves up to <laughs> Chamber of Secrets. Is them going, okay, we've figured all this out. The groundwork is laid. The floor's there. So now we can actually kind of go wild. Well, and it helps, too. The the actors are a little bit older now. They've gone yeah. through a growth spurt. Their voices have changed a little, deepened, and they seem like they're better at this or more comfortable with what they're doing, more naturalistic. And the CGI has also improved, surprising for only a one-year difference, but the CGI looks markedly better in this episode. Yeah, how do we go from the troll to this? I mean, it's not perfect, but it's It's 2002. Yeah, I mean, the fact that I can look at Dobby, I can look at any CGI in this film, and it doesn't take me out. I will say, though, I hate Dobby. (laughs) Well, it's fucking Well, I mean, look at him. That's it, he's trying so hard to be sad and pathetic, and it's like, come on, Dobby, you're ruining lives. You're not paying attention to what you're doing. (laughs) Dobby looks like if someone melted down a penis, and then (laughs) use that melted down penis to mold an elf. (laughs) Dobby likes the sound of that. Mm, But Dobby does look like he smells like the bottom of a trash can. He is wearing a giant diaper. Yeah, I don't like any of this. But but, but you make a good point. I mean, Dobby, the world doesn't have to stop just because you want to do a good thing. You're getting you're getting a little crazy ex-boyfriend on Harry. It's way over the top. Well, I'm also concerned. He has a, an insane amount of magical power compared to a normal wizard, and he's using this to try and ruin the life of a 12-year-old boy. By he's he's clearly gone mad. He's trying to save this boy's life by ruining it. He's he's kind of like the Joker if he was a well-meaning weird gremlin. What is Zola? You mean he's not? Yeah, that was an amazing revelation I made like just reading the cast list about an hour ago. That Toby Jones is Dobby, which I can totally hear now when it's freaking right? out. I didn't get that either somehow. This is like me missing diagonally for years. (laughs) There's very obvious things in Harry Potter, and I apparently was just auto-tuning them out. Uh, Going going back to kind of like the fine-tuning of everything, I think another thing that helped was um, Clovis talked about how when it just came to adapting, the Sorcerer's Stone is a very episodic 
kind of kind of story. So it was hard to actually put that into a movie. It's why it has an odd flow and it just feels sort of weird. This because it's such a just a one very straightforward thing, it allowed them just to streamline a story that they didn't have to figure out a lot of nuts and bolts of how to actually put together something that really shouldn't be put together. And I think that allowed them more freedom to think about uh, just kind of the smoothing of the world. That's why Chamber comes to... It's not that Sorcerer's Stone doesn't work. It's that it's just very rough. It was a first pass. Yeah, it, it was. It, it feels like a first draft of something. Really, this is kind of the completed version. I think it, give, it gave them more freedom to uh, experiment and just how to film, how the how things are going to look, uh, character stuff, because they didn't have to worry about nuts and bolts of just screwing things together to get to mm-hmm. the final scene. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of the genius of this series is it. Despite all the different directors and all the different moving parts, it has such an amazing framework to it that it somehow stays consistent through eight movies. I think they're fortunate, too, to be in such a rush to get the second one out. They knew enough to learn from the first movie but they didn't have enough time to overanalyze anything or to go through focus groups or have the studio give them a bunch of notes like, hey, these toys sold really, really great when the first one came out. Could you do more of this? Could you do more of that? They had to get going. So they just made it. They knew what worked or what they thought worked and what they could improve. And they didn't have to sit and think and think and think on stuff. That's why I'm always a little bit surprised when blockbusters come out and there's three, four years in between entries. Stuff like this proves if the will is there, you can make this stuff year after year and go very quickly, and it doesn't necessarily have to turn out to be bad. I I think putting that much time between movies is a mistake, and a lot of times it drags the quality down. Also, not to get too far away from the point, but I've always appreciated the comedy of cutting to Vernon while he's already crying. (laughs) No post on Sunday. <laughs> post on Sunday. Uh, do you think, like, by the end of the series, Vernon's in jail with, like, no post on Sunday tattooed across his knuckles? <laughs> He's just rocking back and forth in a padded cell with those words scribbled into the walls in blood. Harry? Hello? Because I just made her into the Seinfeld reference now. <laughs> <laughs> they say he's been in here 20 years. And never accepted a single letter. Oh, God. For a second, I thought one of you guys was making the sound effect for the flying car. Just like... I wish I was that talented. So, the flying car at first seemed like a weird choice for one of these movies. Because, I mean, it's, it's an interesting visual gag that wizards would make a piece of muggle stuff work so much unlike muggle stuff. But the more I think about it, I, I, I think... It might play into kind of the heavily romanticized 50s and 60s youth culture where going on joy rides or speeding around in a car was part of the fun rebel culture to appeal to teenagers. And, you know, J.K. Rowling was of an age where she kind of grew up with that stuff and saw it on TV, I'd imagine, or in movies. 
So it makes sense it would make your way into the books. Whereas oh, yeah. today's fan, today's culture, like I don't think I don't know. I'm not a kid, but when I was growing up, it wasn't on my mind to like, oh, how cool would it be to get a car and just drive around? Apparently, Rowling used to drive around as a teenager in this exact model of car. Yeah, I think like That's my parents probably did it too. Them. I think back in you know the '60s and '70s stuff, and it was just more common that you might have shenanigans in a car before you were legally allowed to drive. Whereas today it's, it's a little more locked down and like a bedroom on wheels. Yeah. That fantasy just isn't quite there. Kids definitely still want to get cars, but I don't think they dream about it in the same sense. Facebook is our car. They take uh, iPhones for joy rides. I don't stop know. Stop it. Make me sound very, very crotchety. Um, we are. I also think, hey. um, Cinematically, I wouldn't play this way necessarily on a book, but and cinematically, it works as uh, an aesthetic lead-in, like the Dursley's house, and then a car, a normal you know, muggle thing, but fucking flying, and then to this house, and then back to Diagon Alley, and then back yeah. to Hogwarts. It's all <laughs> like the Columbus movies were great at. Um, progression of aesthetics, I think. Well, before, too, uh, I think we mentioned in the last commentary how good Columbus was at setting up a plot point and then paying it off later. The car yeah. pays off several times throughout this movie. It actually kind of becomes a character that they need in the film. So I'm they, surprised they never, like, brought the car back for, like, an action scene or something in one of the later books. Well, it's funny. Really? Rowling actually um, wanted to for Deathly Hollows. Uh, she thought it'd be interesting if during the final battle, the car came out of the forest and saved Ron. <laughs> and just started um, mowing down dark wizards. That'd have been I, so cool. It would have been. She found that, the, that she abandoned up a banning idea. I think she said that it was too, she felt it was kind of too childish and decided the car would probably just have rotted over the years anyway. So she just the let it go. The car is in pretty, pretty rough shape after this movie. <laughs> I do like drawing the logic line there. <laughs> I know. No, it would not have survived that enchanted forest of mystery. To battle that snake man. <laughs> oh, and now we're to the Ginny stuff. This is... The Ginny stuff has just never felt like it worked in any of the movies to me. Not not very much. It's also... Better. It is the weakest... One of the weakest aspects of the books as well, so they didn't yeah. have a ton of stuff to draw on. It's it's just a shame because I love everything else going on with the Weasleys. I love the characterization of the Weasley parents. It's it's very easy in these type of movies that are all about the kids to make the parents nobodies or like kind of strict authoritarian. I thought authoritarians. If I can say that word, it's a tough one. Uh, you know, kind of like in Peanuts, just womp, womp, womp kind of characters. But in this movie, they give them their due, and both these actors do a wonderful job bringing their characters to life, making them fun in different ways. There's a lot of fans out there who are, you know, dedicated to just these two characters and have them as their favorites. And I can see why. They're fun. So, God, I'm looking at them now. Did Arthur age backwards in this movie series? Yeah. Because he's never looked older than in the scene. It's, it's a lot like Michael in The Office. That first season was rough, and after that, things get better. It's also a fun, jokey idea that wizards 
don't understand technology. So to them, it's like, what is this fascinating, weird crap? And they, they try and appreciate it in their own way. I, I, I enjoy how weird that is in a nice little depth they, they throw into the mythology with that. Is Percy on drugs? Yes. That's why we don't see him in the later ones. Ah, uh, not so perfect now, huh? I say, do you think that maybe that's why the Weasleys are poor? Like, magic is insanely expensive, and if they just had, like, a washer and dryer, it would change their lives? There's a utility bill for magic use each year. They get paid, but, like, they have to pay the state. Well, I think as we covered, their job as part of this racket is to be poor. Everyone has to fill the goddamn role to keep the fucking uh, monopoly from not collapsing. It's yeah. If you look at the Harry Potter world, almost everyone's employed by the Ministry of Magic or small artisan things or entertainment. You know, it doesn't really make sense to be a farmer in this world because they can apparently just magically conjure food. They can they can put things together. They don't need to have maids or stuff like that or servants because you could just magic very quickly and the whole bathroom's clean. They really have a shit economy when you think about it. Also, I like how with their sweaters with their names on them and the cloaks, they just look like the Weasleys are a team of superheroes. <laughs> go, Weasley family, go! He's dead. So this is one of the main differences. If you've uh, never seen the extended cut, they spend a lot more time in the shop. Uh, the Borgen and Burke scene goes on further. Draco and his dad come in. Harry hides from them. Uh, Lucius is up to no good inside the shop, and he's dealing for some dark magical artifact. It, it's left mysterious. It helps kind of set up some of the stuff with the journal later on, I think, and, and paint these guys in a dark light. It shows that Lucius is an asshole to his son, kind of swatting and yelling at him all the time. It's a good bit of character building. I can see why they dropped it. We all recognize that Lucius is a bad dude, and we don't need another five minutes in this place to illustrate what a bad duty is. That's unnecessary, also, but it makes this scene have a point, which yeah, so losing it is unfortunate. I'm pretty sure this scene inspired a million Halloween I'm sure. candy bowls. <laughs> I would be interested to see the history of when the candy bowls came out like that, where like you reached in, the hand grabbed you and made like a laughing sound effect. If it came after this, I think Harry Potter is owed some money. Yeah, that's so weird that Harry just walks out. Having watched the extended cut the anyway. other day, there, there's so much in there. Whereas it was like the shop owner yelling at him, he has to sneak out. Now it just uh, uh, now it just looks like it, it just looks ridiculous since they don't get the Hogwarts until thirty minutes in. It's like, why are you wasting time by watching Harry walk around a shop quietly? Well, this is a nice little red herring because Hagrid comes to save him, and he mentions like, "Hey, you shouldn't be in Nocturne Alley. People will think you're up to something." And he's like, "Well, what the hell are you doing here, Hagrid?" Hagrid is always up to something. Yeah, I mean, just look at him. But we're supposed to suspect later on that Hagrid could have been involved with, you know, the heir of Slytherin Act. It's it's a stretch because we all know the kind of guy Hagrid is, and we wouldn't believe it anyways. But they're still trying to sell it for... Yeah, they're still trying to sell it, and this helps bolster that a little. It's paper thin without this, so they got to prop it up in any way they can. I feel like the audience respects a red herring, like an obvious red herring, if you at least deliver it in good faith. Yeah. yeah. And, like, have the decency to foreshadow something, even if they know it's not going to pay off. Yeah. 
I think this one is is hard because it happens so much earlier than any time they had to suspect Hagrid of being a bad dude. So you kind of forget about it. You know, the the next sign of Hagrid doing something shifty probably isn't for like another hour and a half at a guess. I don't know. Maybe so you wouldn't necessarily think. Because he's a giant. <laughs> Now they were they were banking on the audience's inherent distrust of anyone that tall. But it, it was fascinating whenever you were describing the extended cut to me because at that point it's literally just the book. Like, <laughs> it's, this yeah. is the one Harry Potter movie that just does the entire book, <laughs> which would explain why it's so long. Like, I've always appreciated the irony that they turn the shortest book into the longest movie and the longest book into the shortest movie. <laughs> I have to get this out of the way. Kenneth Branagh in this role is such an inspired bit of casting. <laughs> the best when you casting think of Kenneth, ever. Oh, you think of Kenneth Branagh and you think back to all of his kind of Shakespearean stuff and you get this impression of a very very serious, dramatic Shakespearean actor, and to twist that on its head and give you a foil for it, where it's this pompous moron who's all fluff. It's it's perfect. It works great for people who know Kenneth Branagh, and for children, he puts on enough of a show where you don't have to understand he's done Shakespeare work before. You just get what he's going for. And I love how it just makes this movie more 90s, because it's Kenneth Branagh. Playing 90s Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> I think after Dracula, he got a lot more self or after Frankenstein, he got a lot more self aware. Yeah. <laughs> also, and he's probably oh, one of the greatest get... detectives ever lived. <laughs> we're about to get to my favorite Draco thing ever warm up Draco. Oh, he's coming. He's coming. All right. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> Potter, Potter, Potter. Okay, Potter. I practiced in the mirror. I remember this being a weird point in life where all of a sudden girls at school were talking about how hot Draco was. <laughs> like the first movie, they're like, eh, and this one they had activated and like, no, Draco's now hot. Okay, can we just stop to appreciate literally everything Jason Isaacs does? <laughs> oh, God, yes. That was in my notes. If you need a bad dude, you get Jason Isaacs. He's the anti, he's the mirrorverse John Hamm in my mind. Oh, oh, God, yes. He can't help but take a role and make it seem sinister and a little hammy evil. <laughs> it's so fun. Everything he does is just delightful. And I haven't found a movie that he's in that I have been able to discount entirely just for his efforts. Oh, he makes the time machine with that one scene he's in. <laughs> as the uber morlock uh, I'm actually a big fan of A Cure for Wellness but god damn he, he's such a big part of it that's not really that big of a part of it but he leaves a big impression and I love it I, I just love how dedicated he was to, <laughs> to being this character like the long hair and the cane are his idea <laughs> And the way he drags out those words and the way he acts with the cane like he's had it his whole life. This is a guy who's very dedicated to a very silly character. Apparently, Isaac tried to steal the cane from the set and was stopped by security. They should have given him that cane. He deserves so, it. 
I think he just wanted a cane. <laughs> he wanted the the cane that was also a magic wand. <laughs> and a snake. So, small fun fact. Uh, in college, I actually had a course taught by Professor Lockhart. Uh, <laughs> he was in the science department. I took an honors course with him about the, the science of color and light and how we perceive those things. That was you um, trying to understand something you have no concept of? Yeah, that was the funny thing. I almost failed that class. Uh, <laughs> so I got to the final in that course, and one of the last question, one of the main questions on it that you had to elaborate on over the rest of the final was, "What makes these two pictures different?" And there are two full color uh, repro- reproductions of paintings with slightly different color palettes that I couldn't tell the difference between because I'm partially colorblind. So I just sat in that class for like twenty minutes, just staring <laughs> at these. Like they are identical. And I wrote that for every answer. Like, what's the difference? There is none. It's a trick question. <laughs> See, I was hoping that your answer would just be in giant letters. I am colorblind. Yeah. After six months of classes. Somehow in that class, I was the only person in there who had any form of colorblindness. It was a lot of women, Somehow. which makes sense. Well, no, if you look at it, a lot of men have partial colorblindness. It's very common. Uh, women, not so much. But, but I, I think most calm. people – I feel like most people with color blindness would avoid a color class, though. Well, that was part of it. I was curious, like, hey, I'd like to understand more of, like, that why my fun. vision is different from other people's. And so I, like, I basically flunked my final, and I went into it and kind of explained it, and he said, okay, he understood. Uh, he didn't let me retake it or anything, but I, I managed to pass the class by the skin of my teeth, so I think he gave me some mercy. He, he was actually a very nice guy. Uh, that last quiz was just a murder to me, though. <laughs> also, wow. a fun fact, he was a bit, um, what's the opposite of cross-eyed, when your eyes kind of go in opposite directions, but not inwards? Uncross-eyed. Uncross-eyed, but not straight-eyed. So it was funny, because he was telling us all this stuff, and he's like, I can't watch 3D movies, because they don't work on me. So he was kind of in the same boat. <laughs> what a, just a motley crew you guys made. I'm glad yeah. you bonded. Professor Lockhart was a really cool dude. Like, I have no bad things to say about him. I was just mad about that final because I couldn't answer it. I'm sorry. I am amazed by the idea of him wearing sunglasses the entire course. Can you explain <laughs> to him that you flunked because you were colorblind? He slowly removes it, revealing his eyes. I know you're painful. Passing great. And then fucking invite you to join his League of Supervillains. <laughs> They call me Mr. No 3D. We call ourselves the Spectrum. Ooh, I do like that. That's got a good chill-worthy name. There's like a Cyclops and a black and white man. <laughs> Whoops, my eyes! Uh, to get back to the scene, I love how ridiculous this idea is because it's very much a child's mindset. Oh, we can't get into uh, Platform Sign Three Quarters. We better immediately steal a car and try and catch up with the train. Like, what is the plan? They're not going to be able to get on the train from their car. <laughs> if their parents can get back, they no longer have a car. They didn't wait, like, ten minutes for their parents to get to the other side to see if they could come back. They just, like, panicked and decided, no, screw it, we're just going to hijack this car and run across the countryside. That's Harry so adorable dies. how... <laughs> Harry dies. It's all very much a kid's thing. That's so adorable how important it is that they get 
on the goddamn train. They can't just fly to Hogwarts. Right. It's like if we don't show up by train, you don't get into class. You have to arrive at that specific time. They can't wait for someone else to drive them there. They just want that snack cart so badly. I mean, I wonder how far away Hogwarts is where it's a logistical necessity that parents have to drop them off to get on the train. You would almost think, like, screw it, they got a flying car. Molly, I don't think, had a job. She could have she could have just taken them down there. It would have sucked, like, a full day of driving or whatever, but, you Teleportation know, exists. Yeah, they don't have to take the train, right? Someone who knows Wait. more about Harry Potter can fill us in. Please Twitter us. You're telling me this world doesn't make any goddamn sense? Secrets revealed. This, this is the cinema, cinema Sins commentary for Harry Potter. Gotcha! This thing's terrible now, suckers. Okay, so this seems like a good point to mention. Uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, but not necessarily that closely related to the film, and that's the official drink of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, according to Box Office Pulp. <laughs> I just took a big, long drink of it. It's delicious. It's the Corpse Reviver number two. So, if you've never had a Corpse Reviver, there's a series of them. They were a pre-Prohibition era drink that was kind of designed as a hangover cure. Or if you're just not feeling the morning, you have one of these and it works you out. Uh, the ingredient list includes one ounce of gin. I use Hendrix. Uh, one ounce Cointreau, which is a uh, specific brand of triple sec, which is an orange-flavored liqueur. Uh, then an ounce of either a Lillet Blanc or Coqui Americano, which is uh, a vermouth. So it's uh, it's a fortified wine. So like a wine that's distilled with an alcohol like brandy and then mixed with botanicals. Uh, the the Coqui is considered the closer match of the two, but the Lillet Blanc will work fine if you only have one available. Uh, after that, you drop in an ounce of fresh lemon juice, uh, a dash of absinthe. I had to look this up. A dash is an actual measurement. It's less than one millimeter, so roughly 10 drops with a precision millimeter dropper, or about one-fifth teaspoon of absinthe. Uh, and when you're mixing this up, you just put the absinthe in the bottom of your, your glass. You kind of swirl it around to get rid of the excess, just enough to coat the bottom, so you get that little bit of flavor. You take the rest of the ingredients that I just listed, put them into a shaker with some ice, shake them up till the mixture is cooled, uh, strain that back into the glass with the absinthe. You take a lemon, uh, peel that for garnish, and boom! You got yourself a corpse reviver. I went with it. One for the history, uh, the the first recorded like literature reference to a corpse reviver was in Punch Magazine in 1861. So it's an old British drink, which I think fits in well with uh, the aesthetic of the Harry Potter universe. I'm glad that we can always count on you to bring the mixology to the show. Always, uh, since now. This is the first time. It will be, <laughs> moving forward, a feature. Uh, so like I said before, it's kind of a hangover cure, but it also works as like an appetizer kind of drink. Uh, I forget the actual proper term for that, like aperitif or something, whatever. I'm, I'm not that fancy. Uh, it's a little bit lighter than its cousin, the sidecar. If you've ever had one of those, this is a very similar kind of drink. 
uh, just a different main alcohol. This one's gin-based instead of cognac. And there's just a little bit with the absence that herbal complexity. So great. It's actually a wonderful drink. Not too sweet, not too herbal. It's a good blend of things, but it's, it'll perk you up for a nice long movie. So besides the history of this thing, uh, I also really like the inclusion of absinthe since it gives it a nice thematic comparison to the wizardry of the film, thanks to kind of the dark and mysterious reputation the stuff has. Uh, it's got wormwood in it. When you're normally preparing absinthe for a drink, if you're just drinking absinthe, you, you normally distil, uh, dilute it with sugar cubes over these ornate blotted silver spoons with water dripping through it. it. It seems like you're making a potion. You don't have to do that here since you're just using a little bit of absinthe, but the idea behind it yeah, it all has association to me, and it works. I also found this fun vintage critique of absinthe. Uh, absinthe makes you crazy and a criminal, provokes epilepsy and tuberculosis, and has killed thousands of French people. It makes <laughs> a ferocious beast of man, a martyr of women, and a degenerate of the infant. It, it, is that on the bottle? <laughs> it should be. That'd be a great sell. It was on the Wikipedia article. Uh, it disorganizes and ruins the family and menaces the future of the country. <laughs> there, were, there were apparently a big push from the wine community to try and get absinthe banned from places because uh, the wine like community. <laughs> yeah, apparently it was cutthroat business, uh, and it worked too. Uh, a lot of places did not allow absinthe production until fairly recently. But yeah. in America now, you, know, you can get the stuff fairly. Reg- uh, it's not too hard to find. It's not yeah, where, where is the HBO show about the cutthroat wine industry? It's out there. Bitch, somewhere. I'll stomp you like you're one of my grapes. <laughs> There's a Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter. There was a Simpsons episode like that. Uh, so on top of all this, too, most of the liquors we mix are all clear for this drink, uh, but the lemon juice and the absinthe. And when you mix those, you get kind of a yellowish green color, which I think works great with the you know the mention of the yellowy eyes of the basilisk and that idea. It's a giant greenish snake. You put a lot of thought into this. I did. I'm very happy. I think this was a good fit. Uh, and besides, the name ties in pretty nicely with the whole plot of Tom Riddle in my mind. He's trying to steal Ginny's life for us so he can resurrect himself. Not necessarily his corpse, but his life he wants to bring back. He wants to revive. And even more appropriately, this is Harry Potter 2 and the second plot from Voldemort to revive himself. This is the corpse reviver number 2. It all fits together in my mind. It's a good drink. Uh, but to quote the book I found this in, the Essential Cocktail book from uh, Megan Krigbaum, four of these taken in swift succession will unrevive the corpse again. <laughs> so I'm stopping at a double. Unrevive. That's an amazing word. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I got this drink for the first time when I was in New England last year. And I was in this amazing restaurant it was a brand new restaurant but it was housed inside of this building from like the 1800s they just decided to repurpose as a trendy eatery and it it stuck with me ever since then i thought it was a drink they made up only to find out later going through cocktail books oh this is a legitimate drink that's been in america and england for years (laughs) and it'll erase your memory of the night before just like professor lockhart (laughs) that's reason seven i forgot to include that I love this potato woman. <laughs> I'm a fan of the uh, Mandrake animatronic uh, this, puppets. This D- Guillermo del Toro creature that just pops up for a minute. <laughs> like and Draco the horrible wants, like, the friend is. <laughs> Has instantly turned away the story of his life. 
So as long God, as we're going what? into uh, things we're bringing to this commentary, I have a house update. Uh, I the, the the Sorting Hat was drunk for me. I am Slytherin. I have taken it yeah. four more times. Okay. I want to point out one Taking it four extra times on top of the times you said you took it before definitely is cheating. But no, two, like a no, let me that's such let a Slytherin thing to do. It almost makes it, sense, so I have to give it, it to you. Exactly. I, I have defeated your bullshit fake logic with my bullshit fake logic from the bullshit fake logic movie. <laughs> I am willing to make it head canon that the only way you can get in Slytherin is by trying to fool the Sorting Hat. You just break into the Sorting Hat's office after hours, and you go, "Not Gryffindor, not Gryffindor." Technically, that's how Harry got into Gryffindor, as revealed yeah, in this movie. Time. So there you go. Uh, but no, God, okay. I'm, I'm very glad Howlers aren't a real thing. <laughs> just imagine, just imagine a world of breakups where your ex girlfriend could send you a Howler in the middle of your office. Oh, God, can somebody edit this so that it's Uncle Vernon getting yelled at and he just starts weeping? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I want to get... This is... Something's wrong with Pottermore. Or something's horribly wrong with my browser. I'm leaning towards the browser. I have taken it. Like, no, you're a Gryffindor. I have not... No, my, my laptop browser is... I've taken it... I've taken it at the exact same time on my laptop browser with Chrome... And then on a different laptop next to it the exact same time, also in Chrome, doing the exact same answer as my laptop gives me Gryffindor. The other one gives me Slytherin. My phone gives me Slytherin. My laptop gives me Gryffindor. Well, Your IP is good until it's not. I can say the Game Grumps recently did their houses for an episode, and the running joke of that series was Pottermore being broken and not working, so I don't think it's just you. I just, everything's okay. right with the world, Look, and I'm happy like, now. Anyone who's willing to cheat an online personality test, just give them, the results, yes. give them the results they want. <laughs> I never cheated, goddammit. I was just the, proving that... Okay, Mike. In I don't the really know what show, I was proving, but I was proving that I was correct. we went all through all. Harry Potter world, you and I were both in Gryffindor, and then the second year you came back as like a, an exchange student with a fake mustache, and they're like, nope, well, we have to sort them properly, and you got <laughs> sent to your proper home. On a I'll different say, note, I love the coloring of the Cornish oh, yeah. Pixies. Uh, speaking of so Guillermo del Toro characters... These critters stand out so much from the rest of the Harry Potter world, which is designed to be kind of not, it's magical, but it's not in-your-face kitty book fantastic. Yeah. It's not like unicorn stuff where it's all bright, bright colors. It's more subdued, dull browns and all this. And then you have the Cornish Pixies, which are manic, bright blue. They stand out against everything else. They're just such a weird addition to this universe. They're colored like they belong in the first movie. Yeah. That's something it really Columbus... stands out in a movie this grim. Yeah, because that's something Columbus did, is he um, really wanted to mute a lot of the colors and you know, take down the color grading a little bit. 
uh, because of the story. And what I like is, I mean, of course, Azekapan looks the best, but I, I think everything's kind of unfairly compared to Azkaban, because this is kind of the perfect-looking Potter movie, in my opinion. Like, perfect representation of kind of the world based solely on look. Um, especially with another thing Columbus did, which he took the camera handheld for this, which I, I really like. Like, I don't... Like, the first movie's directed very well, but I... There's something I don't like about the traditional nature of the way the camera moves. It feels too... Not expected, but there's not a lot of life to it. It feels like you're watching a Hollywood movie. Yeah, this, the way the camera floats around... Uh, his idea uh, for it was uh, for the camera to move like a snake. But uh, I feel like a lot of movies after after chamber really kept with that idea that the handheld camera with the world actually kind of grounds it more and gives yeah. a lot of like all the exposition dumps that are needed for a Harry Potter movie gives it a lot of uh, life and ener energy. Totally unrelated. I enjoyed the fact Draco got everyone Nimbus 2001s. I don't know what they improve in wands from year to year, but I like that they treat them as such as cars. Like, oh, you have a Nimbus 2000? Mine's a 2001. The mileage is much better. Mine vibrates. Mine's made of wood. <laughs> I got a rock. We turn into a Simpsons sketch there for a second. <laughs> oh, and now we're on to wizard racial slurs. Yeah, where shit gets intense. This is okay. This is something I'm actually kind of. I was thinking about this earlier. I'm kind of fascinated by this. As Rylings talked about the like um, Muggle mudblood, like you know Voldemort being fucking magical Hitler essentially, mm -hmm. and how she never actually intended to put messages or allegories or anything. It was just how she. It was just her views on things made them made their way into the world and then stuff kind of unfolded from there as these things tend to work out. But there was never like an intention in the beginning. You know, this is going to essentially be like fucking X-Men or there's going to be like a metaphor and shit. <laughs> but what I think is interesting is you kind of go from that. That wasn't like ho like wholly intentional uh, to go to go off of. And then you have Clovis adapting it. Uh, and other people adapting Columbus, the other directors, everybody working off of that and then honing in on that stuff more fully. Like Clovis has talked about, that's the stuff with Chamber he really got into and felt was powerful and he enjoyed writing to the most because it spoke to him the most is the meaning behind that stuff. And to Rally, when she was writing the book, it was just it, never anything uh, heavy. But to everyone else, it became heavier and heavier. And I, I find that transference um, interesting, but a, kind of a cool microcosm for kind of how art works. Yeah, especially when you look at the later movies, and especially visually, they lean so heavily into the Nazi allegories for the Death Eaters. Yeah. Like, like the movies kind of take on a life of their own with that stuff. That's why I think that's why I think it's kind of special 
about Chamber of Secrets and why it kind of gets lost in the shuffle when it comes to Harry Potter movies is the first movie did a brilliant job of establishing the world, but this movie is where you get to the soul of this series. Very much like In so. a weird way, Chamber of Secrets is what justifies the franchise. Yeah, it's um, a bit disappointing that I think the Columbus pictures are overlooked a lot um, because of what came after, especially with Azkaban. And this specifically, I mean, Chamber is weird in that it's... I think most people who even dislike it would agree that it's one of the best Potter movies, but it's also the one with the most problems because of how much it ultimately drags. It's just so over... It's indulgent in itself when it comes to length. Um, so the pacing is very, very off. It's just a little too overlong. Um, yeah, this is definitely the Harry Potter movie where they realized, okay, we actually don't have to do the entire book. We can take a meat cleaver to this stuff and still come away with something that makes sense. Yeah, uh, but it, it has an unfortunate after effect where it's, it kind of gets left behind and not to, not appreciate for just how goddamn good it is. Like, um, I think people look back at the Columbus Potter films as that's when they were just more like kitty films. And that's true for Sorcerer's Stone, but Chamber of Secrets is on a completely different stratosphere in uh, in tone and it's it, it's not that it has a lot in common with Azkaban but it's it actually stands beside Azkaban way better than a lot of the other pictures I think oh definitely it's like uh, you're very very right whenever you say that this is probably the perfect encapsulation of what the Harry Potter world looks like visually cuz as much as people, like myself included, kind of prop up Azkaban as being the best made one, having the best director and the best cinematography, Curon like, chose to take the Harry Potter world and cast a dark shadow over it, visually. Like, it's intentionally very washed out. It's meant to show a change in Hogwarts. This movie is just what Hogwarts looks like. Yeah. And kind of the last time we see that. It's kind of a an interesting, unintentional through line the movies have, where they go from the birthday cake of Sorcerer's Stone to just becoming more and more desaturated, more gray as Voldemort gains power. Until you get to Deathly Hallows Part 2, which just... Like, almost looks like a horror movie in parts. Yeah. I still lament the fact that after Voldemort dies, the world doesn't just go full fucking color, and we have, like, a 2001 <laughs> trip through space <laughs> moment. It becomes the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> smile, darn you, smile! <laughs> On the opposite end of that spectrum, in a second, Filch is going to pop up, and I very much believe that David Bradley was about to murder Harry Potter. <laughs> Uh, he, instead of bonding with the cat this time, he just stared at a photo of Daniel Radcliffe for six months. <laughs> die, Bart, die. Uh, 
it's it's a really interesting parallel too because the first time we see Filch and he warns kids like, "Oh, you're in trouble now," like he he doesn't move at all. He's solid as a statue. And this time, there's a slight tremor in his head when he's talking to the kids, and I think it sells that bound rage. And it's such a subtle little move for a kids' movie where kids would probably never be able to identify that, but they notice it. It's so scary, too. Right? For a janitor to basically go, I have to murder a child now because my cat has been petrified. (laughs) And God, it really gets me thinking, how many NDAs must those students have to sign on Filch alone? Right. You think Hogwarts would just get shut down with the amount of shit Dumbledore just ca- casts a blind eye towards. Just sweeps under the rug. So, fun thing, now that we've got Richard Harris on screen, uh, I was <laughs> doing some research on him, and uh, he had an interesting little quote about Kenneth Branagh. I don't know when exactly he said this. I'm assuming it was before he worked with him, but maybe it was after. Uh, shortly after, before he died. Uh, no one trusts me anymore. I spent half the movie Margaret, 1988, arguing with people, and I was accused of causing big on-set rows. But they won't tell. But what they won't tell you is I fought for the author. Uh, I fought for maintenance of quality. I don't believe in lying on the job. I've been, uh, I've seen these so-called nice actors, very able fellows like Ian McKellen and Kenneth Branagh, but they're like bank managers, so sweet and careful. Who needs them? We are suffering a plague of good taste. Give me Sean, Men and, uh, Sean Penn and Mickey Rourke any day. They project danger. That's what makes acting and life interesting. And many other quotes where he just shit all over Michael Caine. It's actually kind of interesting to go to his IMDb page and just see <laughs> all the quotes this guy gave. He did not censor himself. Harris was like a weird I- guy. I like the idea of looking at Ian McKellen and being like, hmm. Too boring. Too boring. <laughs> Too plain. And Kenneth Branagh being like, I am yawning right now. I'm also yeah. amazed that after Ke- uh, Richard Harris passed away, they didn't just like bring in Jared Harris and put a bunch of old age makeup on him. <laughs> like, right? Tell me that wouldn't work. His son has it's a lot a of talent, and he also looks incredibly <laughs> similar. Yeah, why isn't he in Fantastic Beasts? <laughs> I've said the same thing. Like, it makes perfect sense to me. Let's face it. Fucking Moriarty was just, uh, just Dumbledore. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy Jared Harris as a performer so much. I think I would have gone with it. I would have been like, why did Dumbledore get slightly more entertaining in the third movie? <laughs> no, he would have the balls to play Dumbledore gay. <laughs> I think he might have. I he might have. Got Jared Harris. As Richard Harris doing Michael Gambon's <laughs> Dumbledore in the past. All right. There's two fucked up things I want to point out. One from the scene, one from a previous scene. We'll go with the, previous, or the, the current scene right now, because look at this. They're turning a live animal into a goblet. That's not right. Where does the soul go? I think the reactions there between Harry and Ron are correct. Ron's like, that's cool. Harry's like, this is some Lovecraft garbage. I hate this. <laughs> That's wrong. Someone should teach wizards it's not right to turn animals into... Look at what Ron's about to do to this poor rat. That actually is a serial killer, so it makes sense. No! Good, this is karma for the sin against nature. Uh, the other thing... I is that to... why he's insane in Azkaban? He Probably. He into a cup. Right? Well, that Ron it, Harry, taking you got the money. with him. 
Yeah. <laughs> God damn it, Perry. Just buy Ron a new wand. You've got the money. Uh, <laughs> other than that, in the previous scene, they're like, Harry, is there anything you want to tell us? And he's like, I don't want to tell you about the voices I'm hearing that tell me to rip and kill things. As a general guideline, I don't care if it's the wizard world or not. If you're hearing voices, please go seek professional help. Especially if they're telling you to murder things. This is the number one time to go find a professional. Well, Hermione makes it clear, even in the wizarding world, they have horrible mental health surfaces. Apparently, Hermione's like, hey, let's just promote the stigma here against mental health. Don't, Don't tell anyone that you might be snapping. And somehow uh, bigotry is accepted in the magical world, which I've always found fascinating. That is odd. The wizard world is not how it's cracked up to be, folks. I like how you say that it gets to Draco. Draco. (laughs) I'm just very glad I don't live in, like, the wizarding world of Milwaukee, because I'm sure the racism would be even worse. That's why we don't see the American schools. Could you imagine the magical world of Philadelphia? (laughs) The gang goes to Hogwarts. (laughs) Danny DeVito as a magic troll. Better yet, in the magic world of Philadelphia, their groundskeeper is just Danny DeVito. (laughs) That's a version of David I would legitimately believe probably killed some kids 50 years ago and is banned from magic. Hagrid eats trash. (laughs) When I die, kids, just throw me into Aragog's forest. <laughs> now I'm just imagining, like, how could we have missed out on huge Danny DeVito? <laughs> With his iron hands. I'm just imagining, yeah, Infinity War. Just make him 20 feet tall. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm always stuck on fucking House Slytherin being essentially paid to walk past these characters <laughs> as if they're about to confront them, but they, they aren't. It's just sort of they're there. Draco does have like an I'm evil swagger going on right now. Like he's got to turn around with a one liner, but he doesn't. He just keeps marching. Draco's got shit to do. He wants to earn his cane. (laughs) Do you think that cane is handed down family member to family member, or does he have to, like, go and magic his own cane away from a slave or something? I think they forge a new one every Uh, time. That would explain why it's so nice and shiny. Uh, Maybe it's like the Elder Wand, and Lucius had to cane fight somebody for that cane. God, it's it's weird to imagine what home life must be like for Draco and Lucius and the other one. And Dobby. <laughs> and the mother. What's her now, face? What was it like oh, for Narcissa. Draco? Yes. What was it like for fucking Draco and Dobby to grow up together? They were best friends. <laughs> they had wacky comic book conventions together. Do you think Dobby's the one who slicks back his hair? Yes. Every morning, sir. You think he's putting pomade on those white fingers? It's true. Then your hands get all sticky. If I had a house elf, I'd be like, make my hair attractive. Slick it for me. With your magic. Oh, Dobby's Uh, out of saliva, sir. 
Can't Magic speak about more. hair anymore. Magic more spit. God, so, no. no last movie I talked about growing up, I was no longer really that interested in the Quidditch scenes. But rewatching this, I am proven slightly wrong in that facet because this one I think is a lot more entertaining than the first Quidditch match. Much. One, it just looks better. The CGI is a little bit more up to the task. The compositing seems a little bit better. But the the action is more compelling. The way it's filmed seems a little bit more engaging. And the co- combination of like practical effects and CGI is, I think, integrated a little bit better here. Like all the parts where you've got bits of wood flying around and the fake bludger. They work pretty well. God, Dumbledore is so fucking unimpressed. Yep. He's, He's trying to think very of a way. hot under that hat. He's trying to think of a way to assign Quidditch points now, just like house points. Oh, it's the flying V! Quack! 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 Oh, Harry survived. <laughs> I would give anything for a movie comprised entirely of B-roll footage of Jason Isaacs watching a Quidditch game <laughs> with his best friend Severus Snape next to him. And wearing it that almost hat. Seems like, it almost seems like a no-brainer to do a spin-off Harry Potter movie that's just about Quidditch, right? Like, instead of Fantastic Beasts or something, if they wanted a nice low-key sequel, having a Mighty Ducks version of Quidditch, like with the Chudley Cannons or something, would be hilarious. I would love watching that. That would have That's been the... made way better. See, I thought you were going to say the exact opposite, a spinoff with Snape and Lucius. That would also be fun. I Not, would also watch that. But still played by the same actors. <laughs> Just like 60-year-old men inside of a high school. Look into my eyes, Lucius. I mean, I do assume that there's just a workplace sitcom going on between Arthur and Lucius. <laughs> like, it's just The Office, but everyone looks ridiculous. <laughs> what, what happens when they enter the break room at the same time and no one else is there? Just Lucius in a suit, but still with the game. <laughs> <laughs> Draco, you're bad at your job. Damn you, Dr. Alchemy. I'll never let it go. I don't care if it was three fucking years ago. I'll never let it go. <laughs> There's so many parts of the Wizarding World that don't make sense, and one of the things that's always bothered me is the fact that no one calls this match off for clearly an illegal bludger. That thing's trying to murder one of the players. I'm like, eh! That's half the fun. That's ha- that In the Magic World, that's how kids play. Honestly, the thing that bothers me most about Quidditch is everyone can get set up, all this shit can go down, and someone can grab the Golden Snitch within the first 30 seconds. Then everyone has to yeah. go home. Again, it's weird because, like, the parents are, this is a big deal. And if you think about it, there's only four houses, so it's not like they can play every other day. Yeah, the way it's set up, Quidditch is ludicrously unfair. Yeah. Damn it, it missed Colin. God, if only it just fucking killed him. I'm uh, so glad you're eventually collateral damage, Colin Creevy. The extended cut, his face just gets bludgeoned right in. There's teeth and blood everywhere all over the court. It's blood and sand. I also really, I don't know why, but just the image of that ball bouncing back and forth, pinballing outside and then back into this outside rink. I really enjoy that visual. 
<laughs> mm, my son, the failure. I'm sorry, I am just riveted by Lucius's fur cap. <laughs> he has a fur cunt cap. It's kind of impressive. Well, we should probably make sure he's not dead. Agra's getting out of here. <laughs> they never saw me here. Little much, Dobby. Right? Like, Harry Potter could have just died there. I can understand why Harry does not want Dobby's help anymore. Going back to practical effects, the rubber arm Harry sports in this scene is so wonderfully disgusting. The sound oh, effects yeah. they add to it is just the... And the simple visual of this rubber arm folding back in on itself. Ugh, it's so gross. It's so great. God, between this and the ending, this is the most grotesque Harry Potter movie. <laughs> also, a great little a little trick there. Because in my mind, the way I remember it, there's the flash, and then the bone disappears, and the arm sags. But when they cut it, you actually see the flash is ending, and the arm is already saggy. They've just replaced it during the cut, and there's actually no change there, but your mind very easily makes that edit for you, and you, you think you see the bones disappearing, but you don't. Yeah. It's a handy little bit of editing. And look at this Skelligro bottle. I love this bit of product or production design. With that wand vibrator she's holding. <laughs> I like the idea of going to a hospital where all the medicine is just served in, like, Bioshock Infinite capsules. <laughs> there needs to be more whimsy in medicine, I feel. It'd be so easy to find what you're looking for. You need something for a headache? You just go for, like, the bottle that's shaped like an exploding head. <laughs> makes things much so, easier. None of these he, kids can read. It'd be like a big fat head in a vice. You'd be like, oh, that's the one for splitting headaches. Do you think there's a side effect of this stuff that accidentally grows a bone in your penis? Like you're a wolf? Yeah. That's the real Elder Wand. You can't tell me that's not part of the Harry Potter universe, that there's wizards trying to make themselves more like animals in any way. Just like a weird fringe culture that's just into modifications. Speaking of bones and penises... Oh, Dobby! Oh, stretch Dobby. Mm, I don't Dobby like him. into sounding. <laughs> oh! Ah, uh, that's the real Elder Wand. I'm just gonna keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Dobby tried to murder you tonight, but you won't die. Now lean back and I'll smother you with this pillow. <laughs> that will protect Harry Potter. Dobby just loves you too much to ever let anyone touch him. Shh! You're mine. I don't like Dobby. <laughs> Dobby wants to mix our blood and put it in the ground so you can never leave, Dobby. Dobby will wear your skin and then Harry Potter and Dobby will become one wonderful wizard. Mecha Shiva! Put a stick in Dobby's Dobby ass and use Dobby to mop floor. Wow, that escalated. Dobby can fit right inside of your belly. <laughs> this bear Dobby to term. <laughs> this box office pulp commentary is getting very pulp commentary very fast. And I don't know if I like it. Birth Dobby. <laughs> Purify me in your placenta, Potter. 
Uh, just imagine Darby coming out of a flashlight. I hate Darby. Darby. <laughs> I don't like Darby. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're just making Darby better. We're including him in the franchise, Cody. That's what Rowling would have wanted. That's this is exactly what J.K. Rowling wanted for Dobby. This is her own headcanon, and we're just picking up on her vibes. Why do I feel like if I loaded up Twitter right now, I'd see a tweet from J.K. Rowling? In hindsight, I do regret creating Dobby. <laughs> or at least making him such a sex fiend. <laughs> Come on, guys! Dobby being born out of Harry Potter goes in perfectly with the whole fox stuff. It just—it makes sense. It's a good lead-up to that later bit in the film. And then when Harry turns him down, he goes to Hagrid. And ha- Hagrid is having none of this. No. Well, it's what are we going to do with you, little guy? <laughs> Seriously, I realized that watching this movie. Hagrid mainly exists in this franchise to be righteously outraged about things. No! <laughs> like, I would love to see Hagrid reading the newspaper in the morning, just, oh, no! I enjoyed this. Oh! oh not as, them! As smart as Dumbledore is, I enjoy the fact he's like, he must have taken a picture, let me ruin the negative. <laughs> Like he, he must have zero idea how normal cameras work. Because he's like, let's open this up to the daylight, and that'll give us a picture of his attacker. Also, boy, everyone portrays Dumbledore as being this amazing mastermind, like always ready to protect Harry, but letting Harry go and do his stuff. He doesn't seem to know anything about what's really happening here. He doesn't know there's a basilisk, doesn't know how to prevent it. He knows the chamber's been opened, but he doesn't really seem to quite understand how to do anything about that. Dumbledore in this movie is both an idiot and lazy and doesn't want to do anything. (laughs) It's not a great look. I feel like that's what makes the twist in Deathly Hallows with Dumbledore work so much. Because when you you look at the series again, it's like, oh yeah, Dumbledore did just kind of use Harry as his little soldier for eight years. (laughs) Like, he really is Professor Xavier. Hey, Myrtle. Do you think there's Ghostbusters in the Harry Potter world? I mean, obviously not, or else they would have gotten rid of Moaning Myrtle so they could use this bathroom again, because what a waste of a great bathroom. Didn't we go into this at length in the last commentary? I was wondering if anyone developed opinions in the meantime. Okay, where did the girls pee? I've always, I've been confused right about there. that for like close 15 the doors. years. Do they, they just skulls. magic it away? There's water. Uh, I don't know where the water goes, but they just use the toilets. But she, Hermione specifically says no one goes there because of Myrtle. There has to be more than one bathroom in Hogwarts. I guess we do see the troll destroy a different bathroom, but... Yeah. Okay, can we just talk about the fucking fencing outfit he's wearing? You Boy, may I... not realize this, but he is the greatest fencer who ever lived. <laughs> You know, they they do all the Quidditch scenes, but we don't get nearly enough dueling in the Harry Potter films. We get a little bit of learning in the room of, you know, recommend. But, boy, wouldn't it be great if there's just, like, a dueling club they had to, like, put one scene in each movie? (laughs) 
That 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 would not be British enough, Cody. True. I also, like... I, I want to go into every meeting at work and introduce myself the same way as Lockhart. Like, can everybody see me? Can everybody hear me? And do that in the next Skype meeting. Every day, every single day at work, I should do that. Those 40-year-olds would have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I feel like this is the scene that endeared so many fans to Professor Snape. Seeing him use his amazing powers of disdain on someone that deserves it is delicious. Yeah, that's the thing that's compelling about Snape, is he's an asshole to Harry, but he also doesn't take shit from anyone. <laughs> so it makes him kind of endearing. Also, he brought a throne to sit on until he was called upon. <laughs> and I think that's important. <laughs> that to Draco brought for him. I love the lighting in the scene, by the way. Yeah. But going going back to Snape, I mean, it's a weird little complex thing, because one, he definitely doesn't want the students to die, so he's going along with this to make sure Lockhart teaches them something useful. The idea that they should learn how to block spells is also a pretty good idea. And the fact that he doesn't let Harry and Ron fight each other is actually probably saving Harry's life, because he's not wrong. Ron's wand would probably murder Harry, or maybe himself, if he tried to cast any sort of defensive spell. That exit. The <laughs> hair whip kills me every time. <laughs> well, that was the genius and all the stuff Rowling did with Snape in the later books, is... It pays off all the shit that you're thinking about during scenes like this. One of these times when I watch this movie, I'm I'm just going to ignore everything but what Alan Rickman is doing in the background. Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's still acting the fuck out of the scene like the camera's on him. That's what that 4K res restoration is for. That's it. He's still just eating the scenery with a spoon. Look at him. a small spoon. A wooden he spoon something. he brought from home. <laughs> out of a carved out of a bigger spoon. <laughs> like even in that shot, look, he's doing nothing, but he's eating the scenery. Mm, Potter. Just on the verge of quitting. I like how they cast two different spells, but apparently they have the exact same effects. Magic's about what's in here, yeah. Cody. The mouth? You don't know what I was pointing at. That's true. I like how that snake, when it pops up, is just, whoa, I'm here now. <laughs> Hello, snake. time to murder. I'm bad at magic. It's weird Lockhart has no idea what he's doing, but he still tries, which just <laughs> shows everyone he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> right? We like know he's, he's really good at one sect of magic. You think he'd just back off until it's time to do that stuff. He gaslit himself, which I always love. <laughs> well, we've seen like we see him backfire the memory spell later in the movie because of Ron's wand. He's such a fuck up, I'm sure he's wiped his memory before. Uh, also, Harry's talking shit about that snake's mom. <laughs> no. That was a no, living creature. No, it was creature. people. 
That it was Cobra Commander. Communicate. It was magic. It didn't have a soul. It's fine. Cobra la 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 la. I like Lockhart's stoic moment there. <laughs> His action hero once. shot. <laughs> but the, 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 that actually raises some ethical questions. Like, that snake had a mind. We saw the snake in the first movie talk, so Snape just murdered a sentient being that technically Dra Draco created as though a god. Well, that's why I had to kill it. It was an affront. <laughs> that's what it was actually whispering to Harry. I shouldn't be! <laughs> Unmake me or I'll kill again! Why must I be instead of not be? Why, father? Father, kill me. One other uh, quick mention of the extended cut <laughs> in the dueling scene. Uh, the kid who has the snake turn on him has a couple of more lines where he introduces himself to Harry. They shake hands. He mentions like his parents are mixed between Muggle and Wizard, so he's technically also a mudblood. And that feeds into, later, the mistrust of Harry. Like, oh, well, that kid just said he was a mudblood, and then... Not not in those words. He doesn't... That's not my word. I should stop using it. Uh, he he <laughs> lets that slip, and everyone knows that. So in this scene, when they don't trust Harry, it makes a little bit more sense than just, like, randomly... He was speaking Snake. It's much improved. I, it fits things together a little bit nicer. It kind of sands some of those rough edges off the puzzle pieces... You I'd get there anyways, but it, it would be better to have that, I think. I do like how that also adds a bit of comedy to it, because just everyone Harry talks to, specifically everyone who introduces themselves to Harry, <laughs> immediately dies. The pleasure to meet you, sir. Also, <laughs> oh no, my red shirt! It's a little funny, too, that almost every year the student body turns against Harry Potter. He's like Ethan Hunt being disavowed by the IMF. <laughs> It happens all the time, but he comes back anyways and does his best. They turn against him, or they hero-worship him like he's Justin Bieber. Yeah, it's an on-off switch. It's very unusual, and I think that would mess with my mind, too. That's a funny thing with the extended cuts, is, like, the theatrical cut is too long. Also, there's a lot of stuff in the extended cut you need. <laughs> yeah, it's like the extended cut of Return of the King. I feel like if you're already in the theater for two and a half hours, that extra ten minutes isn't going to save you. It's almost like, well, screw it. At this point, throw in the extra crap. Just give us all the good stuff. Can we comment on what a shame it is that John Cleese has almost nothing to do in these movies? Yeah, it's... it's they couldn't get more sad. for him to do. I mean, we don't need he nearly Headless Nick to really have a great moment. But... Oh, just the great John Cleese to be there to basically be like, hello, 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 I'm petrified now. I, I like how this entire series is like the greatest paycheck ever for John Cleese. <laughs> just once a year, put on a fancy suit and walk around a green screen going, hello, children, hello, hello. Also, they should be really concerned about the number of gigantic spiders that are running around this castle. Yeah, Phil, do your fucking job. Spray. You have one job. I don't know why, but uh, it amuses me Phil Schwint to get McGonagall. 
an old flame. He needed some magic badassery to help him out. Oh, God. How sad would this be if anytime we don't see Filch, he's off screen with just a regular janitor's little push cart and a mop? <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, to do non magical. <laughs> oh, God. Just... He has a floor buffer like Ernest. He's got an effigy of his cat somewhere in a corner, and you can't tell me otherwise. It's just the uh, shrine that Jason had to his mom's head. (laughs) (laughs) She's just been petrified. I'd love the grand music swell for going to Dumbledore's office. It must be so annoying just to go up there to, like, ask him one simple question. Oh, anything. You hear that music, it's like, this is very sinister, but he's not that sinister of a man. Also, like, the sorting hat just lives in this office. It's really sad. But yeah, I think of it like they bring him down once a year to answer questions, or in Mike's case, to, like, break out halfway through the year to (laughs) demand a rectification. (laughs) You're never going to let it go, are you? Look at the casual wizard on the right. Hey. Just chilling. And God, think it has a sword up its ass all year too. I don't like the idea of old the man being all alive for the rest of the, oh, the year. Oh, Dobby's so jealous. I don't. I don't like the idea of being a sentient hat, like no hands to, like pick to things up or there. read. I feel like he's having a good time of it, though. Though I assume he has to watch Dumbledore masturbate on occasion. Uh, yeah. Does he have while true Dumbledore eyes? Dumbledore wears them. He has, like, eye sockets, but I don't know if he can just sense presences and no, all that kind of illusion. stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he just feels doubled or masturbating. Also, I'm, I'm sorry to return to a previous joke, but Mike, I have to tag up with, Oh, let Darby sit on your head and tell you what's in your soul. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, that bird's real, this, right? I love this gag. Uh, parts of it, they do have a real puppet. In a lot of oh, CGI. Fucking, fucking Harris thought that that was a real bird on set and just started messing with it like he was fucking Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> Hi, birdie. Despite I, the fact that he's a phoenix. I enjoy the way the scene is set up, too, because there's like that swell of music. Fox gets his own uplifting little theme. Harry Potter walks up and he's like smiling and then the bird just explodes and it comes to Harry's like, oh, shit face and i just it's such a great stupid little gag oh no that i've destroyed the it. evidence he just starts eating the ash of the bird destroys it forever it's like burnt chicken nuggets it's like that uh monty python sketch with the guy who can't stop accidentally killing people <laughs> god imagine how funny that must be in the extended cut where you have the previous scenes of people he's talked to dying and then you get to this <laughs> harry potter can't stop Here's Haggard with a dead chicken for no reason. <laughs> they oh, actually, this is the dinner. Speaking of this dead chicken, they did totally film scenes for the third act reveal of of Ginny killing chickens. So that's disturbing. <laughs> but that was in her spare time. Like, we can incorporate this in the movie. This will be it great. It had nothing to do with uh, anything. That's just what the actress liked to do, kill chickens. It's weird. Just kill chickens. She's a redhead. She wasn't raised on... She didn't, wasn't raised on a farm either. It wasn't like she was using them for the meat. She just enjoyed sacrificing chickens. Just evil. Just Box evil. office pulp can be sued for slander uh, at this address. Uh, Jamie, give me your address. Well, P.O. Box. 
God, I was trying to remember like an old. Oh, uh, send your mail to Gruff McGruff, Chicago, <laughs> Illinois, six one six one two. You can take a bite out of Harry Potter. I should not have said that. The Serbian nope. franchise. Nope, 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 nope. What did you say? Dobby, no. Magic winter. It's so nice. Magic winter. God, this... Is it... Okay. We talked about the movie food earlier. Does this series not have the best movie snow? It looks oh. delightful. Like, I want to go play around and make a snow angel. God, and especially Azkaban. Hey, look at these. Look at these things. They're beautiful. <laughs> See, it makes so much sense when you look at it now that ABC Family brought the, this whole series out for every holiday. Because really, every Harry Potter movie hits all the major holiday notes. They got a Christmas scene. For Halloween, sometimes it's a Halloween scene. Sometimes things are just spooky. Yeah. For Thanksgiving, they are always fucking eating. It's true. Covers all bases. It's why I'm mad ABC Family fucking lost the television rights. There's a lot of trees for Arbor Day? Yeah, this makes sense. Harry doesn't have parents, which makes you think of Father and Mother's Day. His birthday God. is normally mentioned in passing because no one loves him. Well, God. Well, not, I mean, all the green for St. Patrick's Day and or 420. But, uh... Could you imagine if Freeform had the rights and they could pair it with Cloak and Dagger? Like that, they would have found a way. I would like an alternate cut of this film where Ron was the one to try and attempt to knock out Crab and Goyle, and their <laughs> like heads explode or they morph into one horrible blob being, and it turns into a Rick and Morty episode. You say that as if this entire sequence doesn't just feel like something for Rick and Morty. Hey, if you look at it a little deeper, it is pretty messed up. There's just an easy potion. Well, not easy, easy, but there's a potion out there that if you have the smarts and can read, you can make that allows you to steal someone else's identity. You can't that allows tell me, David Tennant to escape. Yeah, you can't tell me in the magic world people aren't abusing this regularly to just, like, sneak into places they shouldn't be to rob things to frame other people for crimes. Okay, um, just a quick thing. When she's pouring that, I wish she was pouring it because of what it makes me think of, the thick consistency of gravy. It. No, I wish she was pouring it into a Bart Simpson's glass because it reminds me when the anti-mutagen is being poured in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> <sighs> Just needed to get that uh, out. Same, su same it, substance. That's why she becomes a cat. It looks like somebody took biscuits and gravy mix and like added some chocolate milk to me. That's why you gotta freeze it into ice cubes and put it into donuts, and then Toka and Razar will eat them, but unfortunately <laughs> they'll find the cubes and it won't work, and then ninja wrap happens, and they end up using fire extinguishers for some reason to speed up the little bit that is in their system, then they turn into a dog and a turtle. I made another funny. Oh, this process seems painful. It, it really does. 
I think we just saw what would have happened if they recast uh, Daniel Radcliffe. (laughs) (laughs) I took too much juice. (laughs) And yep, these two actors have no dialogue in this film. I've been trying to watch, and I think you're right. They they laugh. That's kind of it. They just kind of chuckle in the background of scenes. And they, they physically act, and they're there. They're present, but they could have had, like, lost their voices. They could have had a horrible cold, just not been able to talk, and no one would have noticed. And because of this, they were only paid 99 cents an hour. I have to wonder about that. What's the technicalities on it? They're, technically, they don't have any lines in the film Although they are moving their mouths to say these lines, I'm sure, on set, even if the intention is to scrub their lines and, you know, record over them. Uh, I'm curious, did they have lines in Sorcerer's Stone? Because I know you have to have two to get a SAG card. I believe they did. Wouldn't it be funny if Tenet fucking dubbed all of Mad-Eye Moody's lines? <laughs> Goblet of Fire. I feel like he could do that voice. He is Scrooge McDuck, after all. <laughs> I mean, it would have made more sense. I guess he's a higher level magician, so he could disguise his voice through magic too. But it probably would have been well, too much of a giveaway. So I, I guess I can give him that one. Well, it is made clear that Hermione fucks up the potion, so I think that's just on her. <laughs> well, no, she the potion was fine. She just put a cat hair into her potion, so that was dumb on her part. Exactly, she fucked up the potion. Speaking of what's, which, what, what's there to say she didn't fuck up the other ones? That's a terrifying idea. Just imagine in the wizarding world what furries can do. They don't have to dress up as cats. They become cats. Well, think of all the shit Dobby's been rubbing his ass on in this (laughs) castle. God, Harry becomes Dobby. Pain is the pleasure. I iron my fingers for thee. (gasps) That would fix everything twisted up inside of Dobby, wouldn't it? I like putting a the on Dobby dialogue, like he's some sort of Puritan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but what if, like, after Ron and Harry became Crab and Goyle, they found Draco, and Draco just walked up to him, boys, Dobby's here, and Draco just started disrobing, and they had to go along (laughs) with it? They just get in that big hot tub you see later in, like, Goblet of Fire, and they all just have a fucking orgy with Gobby. I don't like there being any orgies near Moaning Myrtle. Use all eight of Gobby's holes. (laughs) You don't even want to know, man. (laughs) It's like a hello from the Magic Tavern thing. Three is the perfect number of buttholes. Also, I love that plate of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have Chex Mix in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter? <laughs> if you can magic it, it's real. Also, uh, I kn- we already talked about uh, Neville, but I did not realize until looking at the cast list on IMDb earlier that the kid who plays Goyle got swole. So if you were fat in a Harry Potter movie, you were just blessed with a physique in later life. Oh, God, it's like becoming the Wolfman. 
Also, has it always been really, really weird to you that those are just the conversations that Draco and his friends have at night? Yeah. <laughs> With Draco acting like he's the CEO of a corporation they're all partners in. kind of is. The, the other two ate floating cupcakes and didn't think anything bad was going to happen. I'm pretty sure they'd go along with him if he discussed anything. Mmm, unexplained cupcakes. Ah. God, this looks so weird. Kill it! Kill it with fire! This was horrifying on VHS, where you could barely make out the effect. I don't I don't like how much Ron is into it. <laughs> oh, finally. Knowing Ron's fetish is not my bag. I, I Myrtle's don't weirdly that. into can... it as, as well, but I assume Myrtle's pretty, pretty kinky. That can Myrtle all remain watch... in the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> well, Myrtle does watch people piss and shit and enjoy it. I don't like that either. If I'm ever a ghost and I'm forced to haunt a bathroom, I would kill myself again. I don't think Myrtle is forced. She just likes being there. It's true. The rest of the ghosts kind of wander the castle. I think they, it's it's like fair grounds. The whole place is their oyster. This is just her, uh, let's face it, sexified choice. Right. But look at the way dis- she was sitting and the way she got up there. Tell me she's not into being in this bathroom. It's God, maybe that's, maybe that's all being a ghost is, just fetishized afterlife. I mean, let's look at this. It's not like she's there for unresolved business. She says she doesn't know how she dies. They reveal to her it was the basilisk. They kill the basilisk. She has no reason to remain. And yet, she does. So apparently ghosts in the Harry Potter world are just stuck, anchored wherever they are for the rest of time. Or she chooses to be there because she's kind of into it. I don't know. I don't like it. Kind of into it, Cody. I mean, let's... All right. Let's get down to business, though. I mean, on top of everything else, she's like in her mid-30s. So, yeah, I think Myrtle is, um, yeah. That is uh, a tool that very few filmmakers ever use, which has always confused me because it's always effective. Just using middle-aged people to play spooky children. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they could get away with it. Everyone in the Harry Potter films would be like 30 anyways. What's weird is that actress is like 50 now and still looks exactly the same. <laughs> Movie magic. What was Harry going to write there? I'm not sure. Uh, it's just the dialogue from the end of a Doogie Howser episode. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Snape still doesn't like me. Oh, well. I would like to take a moment, though, to appreciate the weird spooky music that John Williams includes in all these movies. That kind of like weird whistling kind of stuff. I, it's, it's such a basic little theme, but you always know something dark and evil's going on when it plays. It's haunted house music, but by John Williams. So it's amazing. <laughs> It's also funny to me because I've never really written with a quill pen, but I would assume my handwriting would automatically become as fancy as Tom Rill's, but it'd probably look like Harry's. (laughs) Here's a question. Do you, 
like I know this is special to Harry, but do you also get the impression that this is just texting in the wizard world? <laughs> like everyone has magic dictionaries like this. This is so, how so the words pop up. Anyway, DTF. <laughs> hey. Also, I'm not just a book. I can I can do other things. Oh no! It's the page master run. Oh, they're gonna teach me a lesson through literature. Oh God, Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> I don't want to be in Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. It's a big ass pumpkin day. <laughs> hey, Grid's a killer. <laughs> he he is though. He he is. I love old-timey Hogwarts. It's very unfortunate that they cast a fairly old kid to be Tom Riddle, because when they had to go back and do further flashbacks, they had to recast a very different-looking kid. They went the very evil Damien kind of or uh, Also appearance. a younger Tom Riddle, so it's like the timeline doesn't quite add up. Right, whereas this one's, like, fairly handsome. This is not the guy you would expect to become an evil snake Ray Fiennes. He, he looks like already... Jude Law. Yeah, he should already, like, based on the later flashbacks, already kind of be a snake man at this point. He's, like, 17 here. <laughs> so weird. So, yeah, I, I think this is more of a mistake on their part. Although I like the idea that the really evil guy actually just being a very handsome apparently nice person. I, I, I like that kind of unexpected juxtaposition, whereas the clearly evil child playing Voldemort in the later movies is just so on the nose. I like the fucking evil businessman Voldemort here. <laughs> He's about to run OCP. <laughs> OCP runs Hogwarts. Hogwarts runs the wizards. Once again, we have Dumbledore asking a question that he should really follow up on, and then not following up. Is there something you wish to tell me? No? Well, I don't like to press, so... Harris's on. Dumbledore was drunk out of his goddamn mind. <laughs> I like the, uh, heat miser there. <laughs> <laughs> It truly was too much. You know what I just realized? Far more than Dumbledore, this guy looks like a young Lockhart. He does. Yeah, I, I just give him blonde that. hair and he's Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Andre the Giant, I should have known. I tell young Hagrid just doesn't have a beard. <laughs> it's <laughs> I like how they just have to keep him in shadows too to be like, don't pay attention to the lack of resemblance. It's Which fine. Makes, it, he makes him look weirdly like the Emperor. Yeah. He lo he looks like Ben Kissel in a robe. God damn it. I know correctly. What? Uh, 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 Why, if I know why is it every fantasy movie has to have a giant spider? I know. Tolkien. Ugh. 
fuck this movie. Um, if I do know correctly, I believe that's um the tall guy that's Hagrid's stand-in for shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, like faraway shots that's playing young Hagrid there. Yeah. I mean, if this were in modern times, they just pull some like MCU de-aging effect and they just have Robbie Coltrane in there playing himself. But, alas. I don't know if I want to see CGI de-aged Robbie Coltrane. I love this shot of Hogwarts. It's it's just weird because it's such a modern shot in a movie from 2009. Yeah. Directed by Chris Columbus. It's, it's odd to me. <laughs> God, Harry gets such a boner for Tom Riddle. It's kind of sad. No, so a... I bet he was the smartest kid at his school. I bet all of his friends were stupid, too. Harry is consistently impressed with young Voldemort. It's weird. He's been on about those slugs. He, he just drinks that stuff. You get you <laughs> fucked up, kids. You want to come get fucked up with me? This is my corpse reviver. He opens his coat. Dobby's there. Like fucking Dobby Kuano. is master's beard. <laughs> Open your beard. Open your slug repellent. Dobby tying his own pubes. Dobby (laughs) tying his pubes to Hagrid's beard and then riding him around. We are the singularity, Hagrid. (laughs) (laughs) I I do have to say, as far as like other other ways to exist go, being tangled up in a large man's beard and just riding around with him actually sounds pretty nice. Mm, agree to disagree. I'm going I'm to respect. I'm going to respectfully pass, but I understand. <laughs> well, if it's Hagrid, I mean, he's already huge, so at beard level, you're eye to eye with everyone you encounter. Plus, he's always eating. You get the the ale that dribbles down. I don't want the scraps. He's not a large man. That's all camera tricks. <laughs> You're ruining I, the movie I, magic. <laughs> I just want to have a parasitic relationship with a giant. <laughs> you just looked at the fucking parasites in Cloverfield and were like, ah, oh, to be there. What a way. That's my ideal life, man. Like, oh, I wish I, I was like one of those things attached to a whale. I was, yeah, let's say I feel like he saw They've one of those documentaries as a kid with the sharks, and he was like, mm, "Yeah, look at those guys." It is a nice life, I gotta admit. Could you imagine just having a couch on the back of a shark and just hanging out? I feel like that was a '90s cartoon on Nickelodeon. <coughs> so this oh. is an interesting structural choice to essentially eliminate Hermione from the back third of the movie. Yeah, it, it it goes with the book too, but it's just such a strange choice because we're still fairly new to the trio, and yet she goes into the second book when she's still kind of establishing the foundation of the series, and goes, eh, let's take one of the most capable ones out and make these two have to struggle on their own. 
it it makes sense, but it's also a bold choice. Rowling did not seem to really know what to do with Hermione until like the end of book three. From that Gee, point on, she just suspicious. becomes Storm. That's <laughs> <laughs> just you know, I am you, Spartacus. You also have to respect Rowling for also respecting the audience in a way to understand their that their dynamics have been reinforced enough at this point to to get that we're taking the smart one out of the equation, so they're kind of going to have to fly blind here. Yeah, we'll make the dummies solve the mystery. Yeah, it's a great escalation. <laughs> I say as he picks up his fucking crossbow. Jesus Christ, The Hagrid's the motherfucker who watches InfoWars. Like, he just seems paranoid and insane. <laughs> Shouldn't, like... I, I know it's the magic world, but... God damn it, they should have access to guns. Hey, if, if those teachers at Hogwarts had been armed with guns, Deathly Hallows would never have happened. <laughs> Just imagine American schools. That's probably the big difference. Defense Against the Dark Arts. We're going to teach you the muggle way of gun-fu. I'm sure the American wizard schools are, like, owned by Target or something. Oh, God. There's Can't a reason we don't that? see them in the modern age. Right? Just imagine them playing Quidditch. They probably fly around a big rink with a bunch of Target logos and, like, U.S. Capital Bank. Well, the American Quidditch, they just slam into each other over and over. <laughs> so there's a bloody paste of one team left. It's just Harry running from the Bulger the entire time. <laughs> so, God, I always forget Fudge is brought in immediately into these fucking movies. I mean, they probably could have brought me in a little sooner, considering, like, three people are in permanent comas. And a cat. How do they explain that to Colin's parents? Like, they're they're muggles, right? So they have to be like, your son came to the School of Magic. Uh, he was there for about four months, and now he's in a magical, magical coma that will revive him from in about uh, uh, three months. I'm going to be honest. Dumbledore's beard makes it look like he's not taking any of the shit seriously. <laughs> You're saying they just that like, happens tell sometimes. God damn it, <laughs> Dumbledore. Order... Take this seriously. Dumbledore has said nothing. Just standing there <laughs> existing with a beard. They're just screaming at him at the Order of the Phoenix meetings. And you walk in here with your goddamn wizard hat and your scarf and your Santa Claus beard. Like Voldemort did not kill my sister. Sometimes the fondest jokes come from inside. And he just researches inside Harry Potter and pulls out a clown squeaky nose. God damn it, Brian! This is why your brother doesn't talk to you anymore! <laughs> Every shot of Isaac seems like he's from an 80s movie. I mean, he's from an no, 80s fantasy movie. I have to go to the movie. ski hill and shut it down so the children cannot enjoy the competition. <laughs> well, I, that's all I could think during his last scene, where like they even start framing him like he's David Bowie in Labyrinth or something. 
Yeah. It, it seems like he's uh, giving an evil speech to Indiana Jones every time he's on screen. <laughs> he has, does he have, like, Doctor Doom's coat here? the fuck is going on? <laughs> Boy, that'd be some fun casting. I like how they just built the aesthetic of the Death Eaters around what Isaac came up with for his costume in this movie. Okay, who do you think would be more fun for Doctor Doom if the MCU just decides to include Fantastic Four? Isaacs or Mads Mikkelsen? Well, don't make me choose. You have to pick. Uh, I'm going to pick Isaacs because Marvel had their chance with Mads. That's true. That's true. The M-Trains left the station, baby. He'd be wearing a metal mask to get away with true. it. <laughs> Plus, Mads already tried out for Fantastic Four film and didn't <laughs> seem like he quite understood what he was supposed to be doing when they just yelled at him to stretch. his arms. Stretch! I want that okay. footage to surface so badly. Just oh, a confused Josh Shrank screaming at Mads Mikkelsen to stretch his goddamn arms in a vacant room <laughs> with, I assume, triumphant music blasting. Just to build the mood. It's the Superman theme. No, we're building up to the worst scene in movie history. Yep. Fuck this movie. Yeah. Uh, so I remember watching all of the two towers and thinking, oh god, there's going to be a giant spider scene in here. And then they saved that for the Return of the King. So I, you know, sat there for three hours just expecting a giant spider scene and it never came. And I was very relieved but angry because I knew I'd have to do it next year. <laughs> and then you're in the Harry Potter films is already like, ha, it's all spiders. Many spiders. Enjoy that. This film is made of spiders. I mean, yeah, cool. They did a big scary scene with spiders. But on the other hand, as I said before, big spiders are the go-to monster for fantasy movies. And I am sick of it. Go to something not, new. I, not I, to I, mention fantasy games. Every single oh, role-playing yeah. game has you fight a fucking giant spider. Yeah, I'm sick of it. Like, do, do something different. A giant vulture. Uh, a big-ass fox with mange. I don't know. <laughs> the trees the come giant alive. raccoon with a baseball bat. Sure, that's good too. There's a lot of choices out there. A lot of weird animals and they have to go with, nah, let's just keep doing the spider. Well, fa the fantasy genre is made up of so many weird tropes that exist solely because they were in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. We never get dwarves in the Harry Potter films, do we? We get goblins, we get centaurs, uh, there's forms of elves and trolls. Uh, do you think that uh, dwarves are like the cryptid of the of the wizarding world of Harry Potter? <laughs> like, that's the one that even the wizards are like, no, a person can't be short. That's a silly idea. We don't have halflings either. I guess that's a good point. I mentioned giants. Those exist, and there's dragons. Nowhere in any of the supplemental material can I remember them saying, like, yeah, dwarves are a real thing. 
They have gnomes. I remember gnomes being like infesting the 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 Weasley grounds. Gnomes that were also sentient, which is also weird. Yeah, but they were mean, so they deserve to die. Plus, you know, the American uh, school in New York is ran by Bigfoot. <laughs> well, he was our double mentor. Die. See, I love that. That's not Rupert Grint acting. He has a arachnophobia and is just freaking out because of that horrifying <laughs> evil puppet he has to look at. I can't say I blame him. Uh, I mean, ugh, this was this was hard for me in theaters. I basically just closed my eyes oh. for like the next ten minutes, you know, or however long this lasts. Uh, it's it's uh, pretty much on the level of Jumanji for me. Like it was just a no go in theaters. The fact that it just speaks with an old man's voice is what makes it so horrible. Alright, they could have pitched that up a little bit, made him squeaky. Hello, oh, kids! God. I'm a spider! Uh, he's real. See, normally this is where I'd be speaking to the magic of practical effects and their way of selling you on the reality of a scene, but no. No, burn it. These men should all be punished. This should be bad CGI. <laughs> it's true. I would like it more if they looked like... Uh, uh... I'm trying to think of something better. I can't. I was going to say, like, maybe, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where it's just a close-up photography thing of a daddy long legs, but that's disgusting, too. I don't like that. What's funny is, though, this movie got shit for having the less impressive golem. I will say that Aragog looks better than Shelob did. I mean, I try not to watch either of ah. those scenes, so uh, I won't argue with you because I have very limited knowledge of what they actually look like. Also, this spider is such a dick. Oh, yeah. Goodbye. So does Hagrid ever deal with this? Does he ever, like, come by, like, the next day? Hey! I mean, Hagrid was just arrested, so he can't come back the next day. Uh, it's more disturbing that he thinks this is a good idea, and he tells the kids, like, go talk to the spiders. Which, no, they, they're going to murder these people. How many kids have died in the forest? Because Hagrid was like, no, it's fine. Just talk to the giant killer spiders. It's not like you have blood on your hands from the first kid the giant spider killed. Well, the spider didn't kill that kid. I thought that was the basilisk, and they just blamed it on the spider. That's what I'm saying. Hagrid doesn't know that. He's, he's been carrying this blood debt on his hands. Ah. Uh. That's, yeah, that's a fair uh, point. I never thought about that. He actually did not understand that the spider didn't kill those kids. He's harboring. That's murder. why he's an alcoholic. I uh, I'm very sad. I thought I'd be gone for the entirety of the spider scene, and um, at least I missed most of it. You missed the puppet. Ah. Oh, <laughs> oh, damn it! But wait, there's more. This commentary was a mistake. Yes. 
This is why we're never doing arachnophobia. It would just be us closing our eyes, pretending we're not hearing what's happening. Uh, did, did you at least talk about how good the puppet looks? We did. Whenever you can directly look at it without screaming. So, uh, I remember as a kid, arachnophobia was playing on TV, and my sister was watching it. I walked in the room, and I didn't know it was on, because it was a scene without a spider yet. And I'm like, what's on TV? And she's like, oh, it's nothing. Sit down, you'll enjoy this. And it was like right before a spider pops out of like a wall and bites someone's hand. And oh, I, I was a very unhappy kid. I've never seen arachnophobia all the way through, and uh, that's the only thing I've ever seen from that movie. Just like one scene, it was enough to be like, I hate you, Abby. Never again. I thought, I thought this was 101 Dalmatians. No more trust. This is over. We're no longer siblings. I thought enemies. we could be decent men and in decent worlds. Arachnophobia and something wicked this way comes are the reasons why I'm arachnophobic. Oh, is that a spider movie too? It has... Uh, it, it has a very bad spider... A tarantula... Um, yeah, a tarantula scene. Hmm. Um, I've never seen that one, so that's good to know. It's just a sea of spiders flooding yeah. their bedroom, like, pouring in, like, water. And they're all real and writhing around, and it's the scariest thing that's ever been. I don't like it. I don't care for it. I agree, it reminds Ron. me of uh, the, the first James Bond movie. Like, they have a scene where there's, you know, the, the spider put into Sean Connery's bed, and he has to get rid of it. Boy, I'd be real mad if it's like, great, you get to be one of the biggest characters ever. Also, we're going to load you up with spiders. Enjoy that. There was a spider in my bed the other night. Felt something run over my foot, and I pulled the sheet back and looked, and there was a spider. <laughs> I'm killing myself after this commentary's over. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Mm, it was just Dobby spreading his fingers across your thighs. Oh, that I'd be into. Oh, oh, Dobby. So yeah, how is the school open? We've got three kids are in magic comas. A forest filled with spiders willing to kill anyone as soon as the groundskeeper is gone, which happens fairly often. It's almost like the wizarding world is a racket. The, the, the closest thing I can think of is my high school was filled with asbestos. Uh... The, the floors were apparently made of asbestos. The ceiling panels were made of asbestos. And they decided it would be too expensive to replace it all. And they had an expert come in and deem the building safe as long as no one broke any of the ceiling or floor panels. So they just told us to not do that. <laughs> so I, I can kind of see schools being not the best when it comes to these things. But this seems excessive. This is asbestos that can also, like, slither through walls and eat people. Well, any school that harbors a mirror that will drive you mad by showing you <laughs> your greatest desire. That's part of the learning lesson of the school. That's, that's their midterm. Can you survive the mirror? <laughs> and a school that allows Dobby inside. True. Well, Dobby's magic. He, they try and keep him out. They can't. Fucking sex maniac Dobby. No prison holds, Dobby.
on that note, I, how did you, you think they administered the medicine to Nearly Headless Nick? I think it'd be a lot funnier if they just had a petrified ghost they couldn't cure floating around the castle for the rest of eternity. They couldn't get rid of it, so it's just, oh, it just looks like he's hung, just floating <laughs> around, dead. Oh, he's one of those, uh, one of those exercised ghosts from Beetlejuice. Yes. Just floating around. I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe the uh, clinic has a ghost nurse we never see, with like a little ghost syringe she sticks in them. Oh, oh. Ghost nurse. <laughs> so, uh, I can't leave the subject, because it bothers me so much. To go <laughs> back to when Dumbledore and Hagrid get hauled off, Lucius isn't wrong. The school is dangerous, and Dumbledore is doing jack shit about it. I feel like they they employ Filch. They're doing very little to protect these students. He just happens to say his point in the snottiest way possible, and we already don't like his character. Just it, it's it's Walter Peck going into the Ghostbusters building and just fucking things up because he's an asshole. <laughs> like he has a strong point. He doesn't know what the Ghostbusters are doing. They could be doing anything in there. Who knows? It's probably not good. It's it's weird. Like, I know it's dumb to, like, pick it, you know, logic, particular logic of movies where, I mean, look McGonagall, look at the hat she's wearing. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, there's no, you don't see any effort on the part of Dumbledore, the teachers, to do anything. <laughs> Which makes, like, Hagrid being blamed and Dumbledore, be like, losing his job seem correct. Except in, like, a child's eyes. He's watching it because Dumbledore's the good guy and Lucius is the bad guy, but... That's why it's the perfect plan. <laughs> Voldemort is right, is what I'm saying. It's really weird when you find out all that about Snape later. It's like, Everybody knows Snape is a Death Eater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's another fun little thing. When I was watching Harry Potter uh, the last couple of days to prep for this commentary, I watched it twice, and the first time I tried to just skip the spider scene, and then my Blu-ray player just froze up. <laughs> and <laughs> it was a spider. spider. It refused to shut down, so I just had to sit there for like ten minutes before like it finally figured out what was happening. It shut down restarted right back on that scene. So it was like, okay, well, I guess I'm watching this and fast forward. <laughs> I like his wig. When I was okay, watching I it earlier, I, uh, I just started checking my email for that entire sequence. I did not have enough email to check, so I was just having a <laughs> very, very slow time of it. Should have been saving him up all day. Oh, God, I want to see a version of this scene where he goes into his bag and pulls out a fake mustache. <laughs> I have to go catch a train. We're having a lot of fun with uh, the various roles of Kenneth Branagh. Yes! <laughs> Same universe, I say. Including the distress signal as Guardian from the beginning of Infinity War. <laughs> Oh, God, not Myrtle again. Same, Myrtle. Same. 
Why won't anyone poop in front of me anymore? She can go to any part of the castle. She can spy on all the poop. <laughs> she can see what Dumbledore is doing. <laughs> I find it odds when bathroom stalls are called cubicles. It seems like I should be working in there. And I Arch. guess in a way, I am. That's right. I'm getting paid on the doing all time. the work at that point, so. Just like in an office. <laughs> a Dobby joke in there somewhere. Also, God, is this woman's voice incredible? This woman has worked consistently for decades because of that voice. If I was nails on a chalkboard could be a voice. <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking at her IMDb page earlier, and she's in like 30 TV shows a year. Should have known there's snakes on the sinks. This is a Slyther Slytherin toilet. Also, these pipes don't connect anything. <laughs> no one's noticed any of this. I know it's supposed to be magic. Magic maintenance. That's why they don't have to mess with the pipes. Also, they said like Slytherin died, what, a thousand years ago? And they had plumbing then? Hogwarts magic. was super cool. It's uh, They occasionally update the Chamber of Secrets every once in a while. No, I like my mythology of it more, where a thousand years ago they were super advanced, and then they just stagnated, and now the the, the muggle world has caught up and surpassed them. I like this how Selzar's thing, though, was, it needs to be in a toilet. <laughs> well, is, isn't that perfect for a fucking incel like Tom Riddle? Searching for mysteries in the girl's pooper? <laughs> it's just, I, I love this deep, epic theme for sliding sinks. <laughs> Also, God, is it, is it amazing in hindsight that they built that? That thing that would just be a quick animation right. in 2018. <laughs> now time to murder Lockhart. This is for Frankenstein. <laughs> I love <laughs> A phrase that will live in infamy, by the way. This Thor has too many Dutch angles. Get down there. <laughs> I, I like how, once again, the Columbus movies just become noirs at a certain point. <laughs> it's a far enough fall where he should probably have some broken bones. It's okay, Columbus he made himself movie. floppy. <laughs> <laughs> he took all his bones out, he's a defense mechanism. I got weaponized bonitis. I have no bones and I must scream. About my bones. I'm all flopsy. Look out, Koopa Troopas! I'm surprised they haven't turned this into the part of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter ride series. Like Can't just a, with bones. Well, not the bones, but just like a big slide into the Chamber of Secrets. Like you slide down into, uh, like, who knows, maybe like a Back to the Future ride where you all have to sit in a cauldron and they take you into Dobby's lair. You ever held bat bones? No. They're oddly satisfying to hold. 
<laughs> okay. Is it because you can still feel the vibrations of the bat's soul? <laughs> That's just true of any bone. I think the Harry Potter universe could do with more spooky underground snake dens. Like, I, I'm really about the look of this place. The whole, like, design of the chamber is really cool. First, we have just the bone layer they land on. Then these stalagmite-covered caverns, this giant snake skin. Then we move into the actual chamber with all the giant snake faces, the giant screaming Salazar, Salazar? Slytherin uh, face at the end of the hallway that a giant snake pops out of. <laughs> It like, looks like nothing else in the franchise. It's such a cool basement. Okay, that that actually reminds me of uh, something I wanted to talk about, which is, is it just me, or does this entire third act feel like a PlayStation 2 Tomb Raider game? <laughs> a little bit. Especially at the point at the end where Harry's just running through corridors and Riddle's just standing there over Ginny's body waiting to be activated. <laughs> was that big baby? Well. Rocks, the natural enemy of wizards. And then, Harry, and then Ron starves to death. In like an hour, <laughs> too, which is impressive. No, he would, he would eat Lockhart first. I would love to see Alive, but with the cast of Harry Potter. <laughs> I mean, Ron reverts pretty fast to the violence to satisfy his needs. Like, he doesn't enjoy Lockhart talking, so he just smashes his skull with a rock. Oh, God. What if, what if when the charm backfired, instead of wiping his memory, it just gave him Ron's? <laughs> and then Kenneth Branagh was Ron Weasley for the rest of the film series. It sets up a Star Trek nemesis type thing where at the end they have a backup Ron they can just switch to. <laughs> well, it would make Ron look less like a monster. I just imagine Kenneth Branagh in Hogwarts robes and a little propeller cap they put on him to make it sink in. <laughs> Guys, look, it's the coolest door ever made. <laughs> I want that as a fucking tattoo. <laughs> the way it moves, too, is so cool. This being like an actual, like, door, it's so neat. This would be a very easy pure CGI effect if they wanted, but it works so cool. It's so this... awesome. Yeah, this and Lord, the Lord of the Rings trilogy are pretty much the last great set movies. And this, uh, these early movies don't get anywhere near as enough credit for their brilliant design work. Yeah. So I just want to say, door porn. <laughs> okay, so Harry turns around, and just imagine this set being repurposed for a modern-day take on a Universal Monster movie. Like, they could do a Phantom of the Opera in this thing. They could do... Uh, uh, something like the Black Cat with a bunch of Satanists. Like they're it, just. It's. I mean, it's pretty much a, a ready-to-go mummies lair. Yeah, they could do so much with this set. They, I don't even care if I'd be like, this is just repurposed Harry Potter. I'd be very excited to see mummy walking around here, stalking people. It always comes back to mummy. They did. 
They did grow to deeply regret destroying this set after the movie was done. <laughs> I can imagine. It's so cool. They could have reused all this very easily. They'd have to Damn try it, to rebuild I want, it. I want, yeah, I want modern day Universal Monster movies with the same bent for design as, as the old series. Oh, thank God, Tom Riddle. Now we can really get down to business. A eh, best friend? <laughs> best friends forever. Buddy friends forever. So how does this plan work? Someone, someone explain Horcruxes to me a little bit more so I'm clear on this. If he had stolen all of Ginny's life force, would that allow Voldemort to inhabit the shell of Tom Riddle and come alive in that body? Or would there be another Voldemort out there and the actual soul of Voldemort would still be wandering around. This piece would gain sentience. Uh, I always took it as a starfish thing. Because he, well, the way he talks about it, he's like, Voldemort will return. And he still kind of thinks of himself as Tom Riddle. And he talks about his future self. I don't know. It's all very vague. I'm sure someone who knows more about the series could answer it for me clearly. But I feel like there's enough clues where they might just be setting this up as him, like, reviving Voldemort. But I also like the idea of Voldemort having no idea this is going on, and all of a sudden him <laughs> just, like, bouncing into a copy of himself that's more handsome. Hey, what? Huh? But uh, Oh. What the shit? That, 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 that actually is a good point that's never occurred to me. Does Voldemort, Voldemort know that Chamber of Secrets happened? Yeah. <laughs> Because it's just his memory that's there, and technically his spirit is wandering around until the fourth one. I think we cover this in the Sorcerer's Stone commentary. A lot of shit with Voldemort leading up to his return doesn't make a whole lot of sense, because it seems like it may just be being made up as it goes along. <laughs> yeah, it's just a fun bit of mythology to kind of think about here. <laughs> Oh, they yeah. could take this to some wacky ends if they, they so felt inclined. It is interesting to look at this third act, like in the context of Chamber of Secrets being the second go at Sorcerer's Stone, because this basically just plays out as the ending that Sorcerer's Stone probably should have had. Yeah. It's like, it's Harry versus Voldemort, only this time there's actually a physical confrontation and a monster. <laughs> yeah, where's God, they... Harry's goddamn power of love now? <laughs> right, Doesn't right, work against snakes. Right down to the sorting hat being brought in at the end. So, got the most epic name reveal. <laughs> this guy's real good at bananagrams. And I like how he slowly <laughs> writes it out, like, and haha, isn't that clever? Which implies <laughs> that he came up with the name Voldemort, because his full name could then write out, "I am Lord Voldemort," and he that's spent weird. A Saturday on that, <laughs> which means the silent T is only there because he needed that extra letter. <laughs> I really wrote myself into a corner here. To God, Harry is so needlessly defensive over 
Dumbledore. No, he looks like Santa Claus. I love him. Well, it's a good thing, or otherwise this bird would not reward him. God, it's kind the of, majesty. It's kind of sinister later on when Dumbledore is like, oh, you must have been really loyal to me in order for that bird to come. It's like, if he hadn't have sucked Dumbledore's dick just then, <laughs> he would have been dead. You're speaking Dobby's language now. Dobby, get out of that hat. There's kind of funny, stupid things about all of this. <laughs> it's... I've made this joke before, but like, why can't they just go Accio human heart and just yank a heart out of a human body? Or why can't Tom Riddle now use this wand he stole to magic Harry to death? Accio I mean, sure, it would ruin heart. the movie. Accio heart. Or like Accio eyeball and just blind somebody. Uh, magic rules. Right, yeah, that, that's basically it. I will say in their defense, though, they did a really good job blending this into the later entries where they have to go back down to the chamber and Basilisk turns out to be, like, one of the magic charms that can destroy a Horcrux. That was a good retcon if it was a retcon. Or if it was planned, hey, that was good. Tied everything together. There's so much symmetry in the last couple of Harry Potter books, I honestly can't tell what's planned out and what's Rowling just looking at the series and going, holy shit, I can do this, can I? <laughs> I really do think the Horcrux is, I'm sure she's probably fucking gone into this at some point, but I, I'm sure I think the mechanics of the Horcruxes and, and whatnot were probably figured out at that point. The, the finer details of them, no, which is why they're so, it doesn't really make that much sense until later. But I think yeah. what's important and what's not, that the MacGuffins of it all were, uh, were probably in place that, at that point. Yeah, and the parcel tongue thing is a dead giveaway in hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the end of the film, Dumbledore spells out to Harry like the plot of book five. <sighs> you know, when Dumbledore, when Voldemort tried to kill you, part of him impressed on you. So that's why you can do parcel tongue. That's why you can see visions of him and kind of you're linked. He spells it very clearly at the end of this film. And it's a major part of later on. Harry has to kind of rediscover it. It's interesting because none of that makes sense unless you factor in the Horcrux thing. It's like, why else would Harry just randomly have Voldemort superpowers? So last commentary, I mentioned how they'd be better off sticking with all CGI or all practical for some of their effects because they just don't mesh well. And this movie makes me eat my words a little bit because... The giant basilisk puppet blends pretty well with the CGI basilisk. It's it fucking well crazy. Together. It is crazy how well it blends. Sometimes I can't even tell when it goes back and forth. So, yeah, kudos there. I guess it was just the technology hadn't quite caught up where they could blend them. And as long as we're talking about the Basilisk, what a cool design. I know it's essentially just a big snake, but it's a very cool take on a big snake. As a kid, this was like the thing that really got me to love this movie more than the rest. Just a giant, cool, evil, poisonous, blinding snake. It's basically a dinosaur in the basement. You know, it's a cool idea. It is actually fairly terrifying. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that the Fantastic Beast films decide to focus on Fantastic Beasts, 
Because some of the ones in there kind of make this one seem less unique. Like, the Basilisk doesn't seem like the be-all, end-all of giant evil monsters anymore, because we know there's a monster in that film that can grow to the size of a house, if it so chooses. Yet the CGI here looks arguably better. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's fun how kind of uncinematic Harry is in this moment. He's not an expert swordsman, he's just a kid who's slightly more physically able than, like, I would have been at 12. But his sword fighting skill is basically just whacking at the snake as hard as he can. No finesse. I, I feel like that's Columbus. Like, yeah. that's kind of like what's great about what Columbus brings. Like, no, Harry still has to be a kid while sword fighting a giant fucking snake. Yeah. It, it's not as glamorous looking as an action movie would typically be, but it makes sense for the situation. And it seems honest. Yeah. So, God, I'm impressed with how vicious they're able to make this fight with a PG rating. <laughs> yeah, the sword through the brain, blood on the sword. Well, the the phoenix rips out the basilisk's eyes. I'm amazed at how they were able to communicate that without being able to show it. <laughs> Maybe they made up for it because all the other victims in the movie were just told to, like, stand real still. They saved up all their gore for the end of the movie. It's nuts how like quickly this series escalates into uh, a terrifying for young children territory. <laughs> they grew up with the franchise. It's fine. Hey, the best children's stuff is always a little scary. True. Yeah, it's, it's funny. We talk about, like, 80s fantasy movies and the stuff they got away with and the aesthetic they had as something that's wholly unique to those movies. But that whole style really got a revival contained entirely in the Harry Potter franchise. Sticking with the idea of scary kids movies, I just watched The uh, Lost Boys last night. And it's amazing what they get away with for what is essentially a kid's movie. Like, it's it's not filled with nudity or anything, but they still have exploding vampires. There's a decent amount of blood. There's that <laughs> sex scene. I guess I'm glancing over that. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it treats the kids much more adult than I, I think a lot of other stuff would. And moments in Harry Potter that are a little darker get to that same thing. You know, kids crave a little bit of this danger, and it works so well. You're reading Magus, Cody. Not again. They are high in protein, though. For the second time in a, the end of a movie, Harry just erases a motherfucker. <laughs> in a book that spurts blood. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> that seemed excessive. Eh. Had it coming. Take that literature. Quick, give her a chicken. See if she's scared. <laughs> One thing that struck me about this scene uh, was it, it feels like, even in the extended cut, which I, I think is the same, uh, they could have milked this for a little bit more emotion. You know, Ginny doesn't quite figure out that Harry's dying. He just gives her this, don't worry, get yourself out, I'll be fine. And, and as an adult, I'm like, 
boy, this is the perfect opportunity to get kids really balling in theaters. Like, it's a sad moment. But Fox comes in and rescues Harry very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but reading online, I, and I can't find who said this quote, but they mentioned that children are very in tune to emotions and a little bit is able to go in extreme ways. It's kind of like as an adult, if you have a warhead candy, that amount of sweetness is going to kill you. But as a child, like you're, you're fine with it. They, they don't necessarily pick up on complex emotions the same way an adult would. But when something's sad, they know it's really sad and they don't need to be spoon fed too much of it to pick up on that stuff. Yeah. So as a kid, this would probably be enough to like get you emotionally feel like, oh, this is the worst thing. Harry's dying. Fox saved him. <laughs> and that would be a full emotional turn of the wheel. Whereas an adult, you don't really quite get that. Saved him with the tears of a phoenix. <laughs> so known as Cody's concept album. <laughs> also known as Dobby's brand of lube. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Yeah! <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm happy now. Oh, all those phoenix tears won't fix what's broken inside of Dobby's soul. Oh, Dobby's ass crack. It has ruptured. I like how the hat is there judging them. Always. You see this shit? God. Dumbledore looks so uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Dumbledore specifically in this movie feels like he's being played by a guy who's about to die. Yeah. yeah. That always casts a kind of an icky shadow over the over this movie for me. Like it's it's not Raw Julia in Street Fighter. Like this is a uh this is a last performance. Yeah. What's uh, and what's weird kind of extra weird about it is Harris is so much better in this movie as Dumbledore. But his performance is definitely hurts a lot by the fact he's clearly dying and he's very limited in what he's able to do. Like, he looks like he knows he's about to die in every scene. God, the amount of problems in this series that could have been solved if Harry would just come clean with Dumbledore the first day of every school year. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They kind of get around that in some of the books by being like, and Dumbledore was very busy and pretended like he didn't care. (laughs) Yeah, pretended. Fucking Order of the Phoenix is just Dumbledore ghosting Harry. Like, it's a bad hookup. He apologizes for it. (laughs) You know what's weird? He's Jude Law. <laughs> that that sounds like some shit he'd do. I'm actually really hoping that at the end of Fantastic Beast 2, Jude Law like pulls some magic shenanigans and it turns out he was actually Jared Harris the whole time. <laughs> That's just a running gag now. At the end of every Fantastic Beast, one of the main characters has to reveal he was doing the switcheroo. Jude Law and Johnny Depp in this universe made love. <laughs> and, 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 and occasionally Johnny Depp would turn into Colin Farrell, making a weird, <laughs> like, three-way recreation of 
the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. And that's just, <laughs> oh. like, my mind is blowing right now. I assumed you were going to go with the weird three-way sex scene from uh, the Hannibal TV show. Same diff. But that, but directed by Terry Gilliam. Why do you... No, Harry! Also, yes, as we learn later on, this sword is now imbued with basilisk venom. If you cut yourself, you're going to die. <laughs> I just love how there's there's still the line of Dumbledore going, Hey, careful. <laughs> you are picking up a sword by... The My God! <laughs> Don't what be. the hell is going on here? Imagine... I own the police. <laughs> Imagine a version of Harry Potter where Dobby's lines have been overdubbed by Mike Myers. And we just get like a Shrek sounding Dobby for these films. Our action Dobby is Swiss. <laughs> We'd actually see him in that version. <laughs> Mike Myers is wearing a really bad house elf costume. <laughs> just a tiny Mike Myers. He refuses to leave the scene. I like how Lucius faces no repercussions for this conspiracy. Nah, never does. I mean, he does attempt to murder a child. Also, look at the Dracula lighting. (laughs) (laughs) He's a silent movie villain this whole scene. (laughs) He gets the eye spotlight. I, I like that how baby blue shine in a nearly three hour movie. Snape is barely in it. I assume purely because there could not be that much scenery chewing between Alan Rickman and Jason Isaacs in one movie. It's like either we <laughs> cut down on Jason Isaacs parts or we just remove Rickman. We cannot have both. They would overpower each other. We have to save that for when they're in the Legion of Doom together. <laughs> At which point they have to deal with fines being a snake man, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> and Helena Bonham Carter being Harley Quinn. Hello, I'm Gary Oldman. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot we get actual Dracula in here later. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Is he transforming before our eyes? She is. (laughs) The sun is going down. (laughs) Okay, I cannot fucking believe that that exchange was ad-libbed by Isaacs and Radcliffe. I know. And that blew fucking Isaacs away. Like, oh god, this kid actually knows the part. It's a bit of a shame we don't get more time in the films devoted to the house elf subplot. It was a big part of the books, and Dobby becomes such a main character here in in, in the revisited later stories that that little bit would have been good to have. I can understand why it's on the chopping block, because they don't need every story to be five hours long. But I think it would help etch out the world a little bit more and, and address some of those weird strange social issues they've introduced. Well, that's the funny thing. Like, one of the, like, common takeaways from the movie series is, hey, isn't it funny how slavery exists and everybody's okay with it? When that's actually a huge part of the books and it's one of Hermione's big plot lines throughout several books. Right. Okay. So coming up here, 
I think probably the best line of the movie, unless I missed it before. Nope. <laughs> oh, damn it, I did miss it. I was waiting for him to say the same sticky end part. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's such a shame. Everyone it rewind your tapes line, and though. go back to him saying same sticky end. I love, <laughs> I love the way he makes it seem like the word sticky has been stuck in his mouth. <laughs> it's such a non-Harry Potter line, too. Master has given me a cock sock. For Dabby, a cock ring. <laughs> no, going, uh, going back to the things that you know what Rowling had planned versus what she didn't. I definitely think Dobby being important at the end and the house elf stuff in general was probably something that unfolded as she wrote. Mm. Otherwise, I think she would have said, hey, you should probably stop cutting Dobby out all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, even here, it's like, okay. Now what? Dobby just beat up his old master and is now homeless but free. That's a weird adjustment period. Where does he live now? <laughs> oh, there it is! The same sticky end! The end. I just want to point out Lucius was saying Avada Kedavra. <laughs> oh, he was yes. going to drop Harry Potter in front of Dumbledore's fucking Dumbledore. <laughs> he was about to murder that kid. There was no hesitation. And I love when he does the sticky end line. He has to, like, herky-jerk his arm back down. Like, his stiff movements are going to prove how badass it was. <laughs> what I love is, apparently, that was another ad-lib by Isaacs, because he was reading Order uh, fucking uh, Goblet of Fire at the time. <laughs> so he just decided to do the book-accurate spell. He gets a lot of phlegm on Avada. It's 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 remarkable how much throat talking he has in that curse. It's amazing <sighs> screech. <laughs> so none of you went to like visit Hermione after yeah. all that. So she the... was in a coma. She doesn't matter. So <laughs> I love the amazing. Han Solo and Leia moment we get right here, I all know. because Emma Watson did not want to hug Rupert Grant. <laughs> he goes in for the hug, too, and he's like, oh, right, we're not doing this. There's <laughs> also a freeze frame that. on her hugging uh, Radcliffe because it was so brief because she was embarrassed about hugging anybody. <laughs> they actually froze frames in there, so it actually seems like it's a hug. Hugging is dumb, everyone, and Hermione's right. Fucking freaks me okay. out. Okay, watch as much as we can. Watch Snape in this scene. <laughs> oh, Snape is delightful in this scene. When Dumbledore announces that finals are closed, there's a brief flicker of, what the hell, on Snape's face, and I love it. Like, he's upset, too. Like, what does it matter? Why are we canceling yes, final yes. exams? They're idiots. They have to prove they've learned something. We're a school. That must be very frustrating for the teachers. So do they just all pass now? That's it. Yeah, everyone. Yeah, if you were doing okay in the midterm. Oh, where's the reaction shot? Oh, there it is. Mm. What? He's still staring at them in the long shot, just like, what the hell? 
Remember that episode of uh, Family Guy where Brian says the upside down face thing and then Stewie turns to him and his face goes sideways? (laughs) That's Snape's look right there. I can't blame him. As a teacher, I'd be pissed too. Like, what are you doing? We're not serving the children by doing this. Dumbledore is such a horrible headmaster. He really is. Thank God they get uh, McGonagall later on. She seems like she would actually conduct pretty good business. When she's not transforming animals into cups. She's not creating life and then taking it away. Just hanging out as a cat. Peeing on things. All Myrtle watches. (laughs) Also, the idea of Azkaban really evolves between this and the next one. Hagrid is sent there casually, just like to hold him in between trial. And in the next one, we find out that Azkaban is like where they send wizards to drive them insane as the worst punishment possible for crimes. (laughs) It's weird. Like Hagrid had to experience Dementors during that 24-hour period. He came out pretty good. He's also a giant. Does that mean he has more life force and can resist Dementors better? I have many questions. Oh, his Patronus is just a giant spider. It scared the hell out of them. (laughs) Do you think while Hagrid was um, was in Azkaban, there was an amazing long tracking shot push into his face as he dramatically torn, turns towards the camera in the trailer? <laughs> I just love that shot of the Azkaban trailer so much. I like the idea of Hagrid being in Azkaban and it turning into Paddington 2. <laughs> like he makes marmalade and everyone is much happier. I feel like Hagrid makes I would marmalade watch a lot. I would make it and I would watch an entire spinoff movie. That's just Hagrid in jail. (laughs) As. Also, God, they definitely made the right decision of calling cut here. Instead of ending on Harry returning to his abusive home again. (laughs) I mean, it's not even quite the end of the school year because they know their exams have been canceled. What do you think that meant? Like, they just got, like, an extra week of just fucking around the castle? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, what do they do? I mean, it's a school of magic, so I imagine those kids, like, had a pretty good time, but I don't even... They went to town? Like, got fucked up No, they can't go to Hogsmeade until third year. Uh I don't know. It's it's big bad. Maybe they made up the, uh, the Quidditch games they couldn't do before. You'll get around on Dobby. I want to see the Lost Tales of Harry Potter, where they explore, like, the two weeks before everyone had to go back home. But there was no Voldemort interrupting things, and exams were canceled. Oh, the Marauder's Map Chronicles? (laughs) J.K. Rowling wanted. She could sneak some stuff in there. That's a a short story. (laughs) Rowling has the habit of, like, throwing in weird addendums and postscripts to this. I would love for her to just get drunk and go on Twitter one day and just be like... By the way, everybody was 69 and between chapters. That's uh, the new Pottermore chapter she's going to upload one of these weeks. It was kind of a weird thing in my mind about the progression of Harry Potter. The books all came out. It kind of went into a radio silence like, hey, it's done. This is the complete thing. You got seven books in joy. 
And then, then some kind of addendum stuff came out, or all of a sudden, oh, hey, we made some fake spell books you can enjoy, and here's the, the you know, book about monsters. You can enjoy that, too. You know, it's modern stuff. It doesn't really carry the narrative forward. It just builds out the world. And then they announced Potter more. We get that. We get the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. And then all of a sudden, they're like, wait, we've got more movies we can sell you. And there's a book and a play. And it feels like Harry Potter went away, but he never really did. They were just feeding us a slow drip of Harry Potter official news for years until they could get us all whipped in a frenzy for a new movie franchise. Oh, they did the Star Wars thing. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, with Star Wars, I guess it's very easy to ignore the EU. But if you were into that universe, it never really stopped. There was always fun new stuff for you to absorb. Hell, there was a, a, a litany of uh, Star Wars Legos to keep you busy. There was a lot of merchandise. I kind of just sound like the Star Wars theme for a second there. Yeah, the Williams music does become more traditionally Williams, I think, in this one than it had in the first. Well, it's because he was, uh, you know... he. It did not have his full attention. Yeah, he was doing Attack of the Clones, wasn't he? No, I think this was... Yeah, I guess it would have been like you'd have been doing Attack of the Clones at the time. Almost simultaneously. Yeah, they both came out 2002. Boy, 2002, what a hell of a year for gigantic franchises. Yeah, goddamn. <laughs> now that I think back on it, not all of them great. Oh, well, but the track records are pretty good, I guess, overall. I mean, Tag the Clones is kind of dunked on by most people. Although, the prequel trilogy does have a very strong fan base in younger kids. Well, I guess not even kids at this point. They've grown up enough. Uh, but Two Towers is amazing. That's I, I absolutely love that film. Uh, this movie is really good. Those are the big three. I imagine they took the top three at the box office that year. Well, there's fucking... Around the same time, Spider-Man. God, could you imagine over the stretch of 12 months seeing Chamber of Secrets, The Two Towers, and Spider-Man? <laughs> I know it was a fun year for me. Oh, to be a kid again. I think as a kid, well, no, it's a shame. As a kid, I didn't truly appreciate what I was getting. Yeah. You don't realize it's special. You haven't lived through like a decade of there not being a Star Wars movie. So it, it's not the biggest deal when a new trilogy comes out. And you're young enough where you don't realize how unusual it is for uh, a movie series like Harry Potter to be built. We didn't have the superhero craze at that time, so it was new that there was a Spider-Man movie, but you didn't think it was going to be anything like a huge wave of superhero movies that was about to come. <laughs> Plus, as a kid, when I saw Spider-Man, I didn't quite get it. Like, I saw it, and I thought it was fine, but I remember being really unimpressed with the Green Goblin armor, and for some reason that being a sticking point for my enjoyment of the film. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely did not appreciate what a good year 2002 was cinematically. Damn, children. Just the fact that there was a three-year period where you could 
go to the theater each December and watch a Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movie blows my mind in retrospect. <laughs> well, I mean, he tried to get back to that with The Hobbit, so... That doesn't count. Those movies yeah. never happened. Right. Those aren't Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> I guess I do recall that as a kid, like the, the 2001, 2, and 3 period where we were getting, you know... I guess uh, Harry Potter 3 didn't come out to 2004, but for a stretch there, we were getting a lot of really, really big Christmas movies, and that was exciting because the whole family typically would have off sometime during Christmas break, so we could go to the movies together as a big family and go see a big film, and that was a fun tradition for me. Oh god, one of my favorite theater-going experiences was watching Spider-Man 2, and getting the trailer for Prisoner of Azkaban, and in that moment just feeling so goddamn spoiled as a moviegoer. Like, that was like the first inkling I remember of thinking, oh, movies are kind of becoming about us now. This is really cool. <laughs> Ah, oh, that is still uh, ILM working on this. Oh, yeah. Didn't they? They had ILM for all the movies, didn't they? Uh, I believe they had them for all the movies. I think occasionally I mean, the, there were other companies. I mean, like, the first one, like, had also yeah. Rhythm News and, and yeah. stuff. But by the time they get to the end, it's like three or four different companies together with ILM doing the big marquee effects and having to f send out a lot of the smaller ones. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty rare even these days to see one special effects company doing all the work. Ah, see? Mill Film. Mill Film. No idea who that is. <laughs> well, the good sad old thing is, Mill Film. They did good work, whatever the hell they did for this. Yeah. Well, that's the sad thing, too. If you look at a lot of these special effects companies from a couple years back, even, most of them have gone out of business. It's It's a tough industry to stay competitive in. It still makes me so sad Rhythm and Hughes doesn't exist anymore. Right? How long did they last? Long enough to get an Oscar. Yeah, I don't think they went out of business till 2009? 10? Wow. That, that is a good run, though. Wow, okay. Rhythm and Hughes was founded November 1st, 1987. Damn. And they filed for Chapter 11 in 2013. Wow, longer than I Whoa. thought. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they also did the special effects for Babe. Hey! And, and the Golden Compass. Hey, that movie made people believe pigs could talk. That was a special effects bonanza. It makes sense that they did, they, uh, Worked on these movies. I hope spiders were harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> oh god, we're about to see Thanos. Before after credit scenes were really a thing, here's a random one for the Harry Potter movies. That doesn't really I've, build. I've never seen this before. Oh well shut up then. I mean there's really no dialogue. No. 
Oh, it's so sad. It's just another way the Wizarding World is really bad about mental health. He has no memories? Put him in a padded cell. I really wish that Order of the Phoenix had a scene where Kenneth Branagh was trapped in an insane asylum, <laughs> signing his name over and over again. <laughs> Potter must die. <laughs> die, Potter, die. <laughs> They really did miss their opportunity for Lockhart to come back as a supervillain. Like there's that they just recreate that moment in Death Note where Lockhart gets his memory back and vows to destroy Harry Potter. <laughs> That's what Curse of Child is actually about. Spoilers. Spoilers. We don't want to ruin our live reading of the play. <laughs> we'll just do that, I guess. I've never actually read the book. I've had enough uh, Harry Potter fans warn me away from it that I don't plan on it, but maybe a, we could. I don't know. It's I've heard it's I embarrassing. Like, it, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming probably, but also sometimes Potter fans are like on the same level of like Star Wars fans these days, so it's it's hard to tell. Uh, I haven't seen that from the Harry Potter fans. Like, they're very, very into the property, but they don't alarm me as much as Star Wars fans. Uh, th things got a little hairy during hashtag Johnny <laughs> Depp is my Grindelwald. <laughs> things got a little hairy, you say? Um, also, that, up, Cody. that time a black actress played Hermione. I don't remember the reaction to that, but I'm guessing from the fact you mentioned it, it probably wasn't good. It's about what you think. Hmm, really. But yeah, I've got to eat my words. If the Steven Universe community can get toxic sometimes, then it can happen to anything. The loud ones are always terrible. Other people like even... us just shut up and enjoy their art. Damn it, Speaking I lost of, my setup. God damn it. <laughs> Speaking of, um, and since we've been going for nearly three hours... Um, Let us go! If you enjoyed our uh, commentary for Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, if you enjoyed our last commentary for Sorcerer's Stone, a.k.a. Philosopher's Stone, and if you're looking forward to the rest of our commentary trek through the Harry, po Harry Potter franchise, you can, of course, find us and subscribe to us on iTunes or on Stitcher, whatever your preferred listening method for podcasting is. Uh, of course... Find us on Twitter at Box Office Pulp. We are also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Box Office Pulp Podcast. And our website is boxofficepulp.blogspot.com, where you can find all these links and more. And please, for the love of God, don't turn Dobby on. <laughs> oh, subscribe to Dobby! <laughs> I feel like we just did our after credits scene during the regular credits, so this is your cue, everyone. You get the hell out of here. Go home. That's a wrap. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. <laughs> Dobby can feel your insights. Box Office Pulp recommends Dobby. Box Office Pulp recommends cutting a hole in your spine so Dobby can puppet you around like his own little good boy. You have presented Dobby with flesh.
<laughs> self as pulp recommends stretching Dobby's asshole around the top of your head and wearing him like a clown's bald cap. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing a Richard Harris clap right now, just gently. <laughs> Too quiet for the microphone to pick up. Okay, I'm turning the recorder off. <laughs> I hate Dobby. I don't like Dobby. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. There are a lot of issues that plague the comic book community at large that are really never kind of addressed. I think what the three of us really wanted to do was do a show where we explore all of that. And by the very hand of Odin himself, we now have <laughs> the seed of this podcast. Marvel's Odin. Does DC have an Odin? They must. I don't, th- yeah, I don't think it. so. Let's go with, like, image Odin. Well, look, look, DC has Hercules, so he has to have something. Who doesn't have Hercules? Spawn. He has Angela, who's like Lady Hercules. She is, she is kind of Hercules-like. Can we still yeah. legally say Spawn has Angela? Have I just gotten us in trouble? Well, now that she's Asgardian, I think it's it's fair play, so... Hey, she's not technically Asgardian. Yeah, but she's Asgard's yeah. assassin. And she has, like, a weird new haircut. Have you seen Angela's new redesign? Look, we can get all into the pathos of Angela on another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs> 